امشي صحيح If you're not gonna play a song, I'll sing you "Happy Birthday" belated. Yeah, well, that's uh, let's see why is it? Oh, that's why. There we go. That'll make it work. Better. Like a flower waiting to bloom, like a light bulb. In a dark room, I'm just sitting here waiting for you to come on home and turn me on. Like the desert, waiting for the Like a school kid waiting for the spring. I'm just sitting here waiting for you to come on home and turn me on. My poor heart. It's been so dark since you've been gone. After all, you're the one who turns me off. But you're the only one who can turn me back on. My half eyes are waiting for a new tune. My glass is waiting for some fresh ice cubes. I'm just sitting here waiting for you to come on home and turn me on. Turn me Well, there y'all go with some Nora Jones, ladies and gentlemen. People, you know, when I first started this show, people were like, what kind of music are you going to play? What kind of music are you going to play? Because, you know, it gets a little violent on news on the flip side. <laughs> like, like last <laughs> night, we were, we were playing Ramstein Duhas and stuff like that. So I think you kind of – so I really thought I'd take a softer approach to this. I mean, last week it was uh, uh, Walking in Memphis by Mark Cohen. So it's just a little, a little bit more laid back. No, no, I like that song for Nora Jones. I'm from New Orleans. I like a little blues. I like it's hard to beat Nora Jones. Yeah, He's so awesome. I mean, it's, so you know, it's, awesome. it's 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 an easy song. A lot of people don't really know about, so I decided to play it instead of one of the more famous ones. But anyway, it's Scott, girl, it's also amazing too. Uh, uh, I just went Yank, Yankovic, um, Yankovic. It's um, 
She's another blues jazz singer. Well, send it to my email because I'm weird always out. Think of it, so I don't think. Not no, weird. Not we weird. don't need no weird owls, but but you know, I um we 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 pay for ass caps, so we can play anything we want. I mean, YouTube doesn't really <laughs> care, but you know, everybody else appreciates that we do it. But that's why I tell people send me send it to me all the time because you know I'm always looking for music. I got a lot of shows to play music on, and on my own personal ones, I do four a week. So anyway, today we have Scott Barnes with us. Scott is a former winner. Of writers of the future, and God knows what he's been up to since. This one here, this was his book. There it is. Oh right, wait, look at that! See, this is one I haven't seen. Wait, let me see. Put this, this up. This is volume twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. I think I've read volume twenty-eight. Insect sculptor was the uh, title in there. Insect sculptor. That that. It's see, the last. Just... the last story in the book, and just so you know, when um, or actually I won't say, it, but it was a really good story. That's why it's the last story. You always put your strong stories up front and in the back, and so his was in the back, and. Um, Really awesome. This is, um, and then Stephen Yule is one that did the art cover art for this. One of our judges. Yeah. Oh no, Jimmy, they're gone. You see, they're gone. <laughs> I'm it's sorry. A great Jimmy. honor to uh, to be included in the book for sure. Yeah. See, they they got. I've got to say, I've I've been through. I've probably read. Just, I'll have to I'll have to go back and and, and or later on I'll get you to tell me a little bit about it. Maybe it'll kick it in my head, but. I bought, I had this bundle behind me, which was not 30 through 40. I've run through those. And I had picked up a bundle from uh, Galaxy Press, which got, ladies and gentlemen, galaxypress.com if you'd ever like to get any of the books. I picked up one of the bundle, bundles. I think it was five books. And uh, I, I want to say it was like, like 23, 24, 25, and 26. I'm not sure. I'd have to go look. They're somewhere in the house. I think they're, they're one of the, one of the, uh, one of the shelves in here somewhere, but um, I was just trying to catch up to see, you know, if the stories were consistent, you know, John yeah. tells me a lot of stuff. So when he does, I have to go find out for myself. So, and, uh, <laughs> and, and the, uh, the, the stories that, okay, that came out wrong, but anyway, the stories are very consistent. <laughs> but what, what, what I mean by that is they're, they're, they're all very well done stories. They, they seem to be, they seem to be just laid through in a very, uh, a very easy to read fashion. And what I like about this, and, I, and I'm not speedy reading, not like the other people I know, especially my wife who reads like warp speed. Uh, oh, give me a book. Oh, I'm done. Give me another book. I'm like, where, how, you know, I can only afford to buy on a hundred million books at a time, woman. Uh, <laughs> she's just, she's just a big reader, but it's, uh, I like the fact like, so when he, John sends me these and, um, I'll usually read them when he sends them to me. And then I'll usually read them on the airplane on the way from out to New Orleans, which it's only a three hour flight. And I can usually get through the whole book in about three hours. Uh, sometimes depending on what's going on, sometimes I may have to um, read a little bit at the hotel, but usually I can get through the whole book, which is amazing to me. Cause it's, it's, I mean, y'all can look people. They're not exactly skinny books. You can see them behind me. Yeah. This is 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, and 36. Uh, sitting back there with these. No, these are all autographed. And these are very weirdly autographed ones. These are originally autographed by all the writers and all the judges who were there, plus their families. So uh, oh, wow. I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for one of them to hit it big. <laughs> so Scott, so first off, before you even get into what you're doing right now, let's let's let's, let's backtrack a few years. Uh, so what are we talking about? A decade since you've been. Um, so what did you think when you got there? I mean, so you win this book, you're like. All right, I'm 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 gonna be in LA, and I'm I'm going out to get an award for for being an author. I mean, what did, I mean, what did it feel like to you? Because I, I, you know, I've, I've asked many people this question now, and um, and I get many, many, many different answers. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I entered it for uh, I entered the contest for almost every quarter for three years, 
and uh, I did get an honorable mention. And I think that was almost as big as the win because that was my first uh, kind of um, confirmation that I might have a chance, you know. And um, and so when I got the win, it wasn't quite as surprising, but it was it was an amazing experience. You know, I got I went to L.A. for about a week. Tim Powers was the uh, the head instructor and still is, I believe. Yeah, yeah he still is. He was, uh, you know, one of my literary heroes. So to actually have him in front of me talking about his his method and and the writing and L. Ron Hubbard's uh, writing and all of that was just uh, it was a dream come true, really. Um, but I always uh, I always tell people the most important thing that I got out of it was, you know, at the end, I went to the gala celebration and uh, they had I think it was one of the. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, who is the singer, John? You probably don't remember, but uh, for American, one of the American Idol winners, I think, like a third oh, yeah, place yeah. who sang. And it was a huge event. It's like a mini Oscars or something. And I'm walking out in my tux and my wife looks at me and he, she says, okay, you can spend time writing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, that was the best thing I got out of the whole deal because um, before that, you know, she would let me do it, but it was like letting your husband play video games a couple hours mm. every day. You know, you yeah. don't really want him to be doing it. <laughs> You'd rather be spending time with you. Yes. No, no, I, I can I can truly understand that. Well, I mean, it's a really nice gala. I mean, I've been to three of them. They're really, really nice. Uh, they're well, well put together. Uh, they're a lot of fun to attend. The food's good. The people seem to be really nice. Uh, everybody who's working there from uh, the Writers of the Future staff on up to everybody else, it's just really nice people. And uh, and I like the, the, the press there is very respectful, which is different for dealing with press. I've dealt with a lot of press in, in my time. And usually it's, it's more arrogant and egotist, you know, than it is actually press going on. Um, really? But it's nice. It's, 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 it's really comfortable at Rise of the Future. All, all the press people I met there, even the, uh, the people from that came in from uh, Asian press, everybody was very nice and very respectful. And just that's simple to- with us. We just, we have a one strike rule. So yeah, well, no. you're never invited back. It's just, it's real simple. You know, yeah, no, well, like, that's the way it should be. I mean, it, it's the yeah. way it should be. I mean, I mean, they're, they're, and, 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 you know, I enjoy talking to and see, they don't know I'm press when I'm there because I'm all decked out in the suit. I'm in tux too, so they have no idea who I am. And I'm just talking to them. They go, and then finally they say, well, who are you? I say, oh, I'm owner of United Public Radio and TV. I'm just here as press. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> I just, I just stood there, interviewed them, and it always aggravates me a little bit, but. Uh, I like talking to the press. I get to know them that way. And I, I like to know who the people are that's running around in circles all around us. I want to make sure they're not like, you know, terrorists or anything decide to take us out. No, I'm just teasing people. I'm just teasing. It's a, if, if you get to go, if, if you're an honored guest or you're a winner and you get to go, I guarantee you're going to have a good time. I haven't seen yeah. anybody there yet that hasn't had a good time. And there's a lot of interesting people that show up. So, so Steve, so you win this, you say, okay, the wife says, all right, look, I get the right. So, so wait, I gotta ask you, did you did you did you like did, was it like a relief and you went home and started writing? And I said, Well, wait, maybe this is a trick. Maybe I need to take a break no, no, or something. I, actually, now I spend about one to two hours a day writing. I mean, I still have my full-time job and yeah. my family. But um yeah, it's it's a, a lot easier on the weekends. I just go and do it and she doesn't say anything. And she's very supportive. Uh hence I have yeah. a book coming out in September and another one coming out. July to September, nonfiction that I didn't write, but I'm editing. So it's, it's all paying off, you know, it's all kind of coming together. 
Um, you wrote a book. You published a book, what, five years ago now? Because you were a guest on my podcast, one yes. of the first guests I had. And you did this book. It was uh, your dad's letters or was it about your father? And So I've, I've published a few books, uh, two oral histories, my uh, my grandmother, my dad, and then uh, in conjunction with an illustrator, Rancho San Felipe, which is a children's picture book about one of the ranchos around here, which is kind of funny because I did that with her years back. And now I'm on the board of a museum that celebrates one of the local ranchos. Um, so it's kind of come full circle. So, yeah, I've, I've put out a few things over the years. Yeah. It's, it's uh, look, you know, if, if it's stuff that you, you want to get pressed for, just let Carmen know. Carmen does a lot of the booking. I would, I tell you, you, you have my email now, so you can always email me, but it's a lot of, a lot of times it's easier to go through Carmen because he gets my attention a lot faster than my email does. Uh, like yesterday, I deleted 12,000 something emails out of there. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And that was just, like, that was just since midnight. Yeah, it's just I get I get an I, I do I get a ridiculous amount of emails, and the iCar email is thirty years old and, and belongs to three different organizations, so it gets a lot, and and even does my JoJo. So I always tell people like that if if you, I said I can hook you up with Carmen, you know Carmen, so it's different. I said, but a lot of times you can go through Carmen. He he because he'll just call me on the phone and say, Hey Joe, uh, you know he's learned don't don't text me, don't just call me. It's much easier just to call me. <laughs> well, if you call me and leave me a message, I'll always call you back. If you text me, I may or may not see it because when I'm at work, when I'm at my day job, I'm busy. So I'm, I don't pay any attention to my phone unless I, I'm expecting customers to call. And uh, so I just put it on on non-disturbed, slide it in my back pocket and go. And then when I get in the car, I just wait to hear because, you know, how many e how many emails there are or, or voicemails there, and I go check them. It's because uh, I don't look at anything else. And, you know, John John knows. He just John will just call me. And it's, just, it's way easier to get hold of me and call me. I tried to leave me a message yesterday and – I know I, want, I started, cool. I know, I know, which is, which was odd. So I started deleting them last time. That's odd for mine. Before I usually delete them as I go. Uh, Marcus, um, what do you mean? You can get that book. We're talking about the trip, the anthology we're talking about right now is available at galaxypress.com. Yes. As far as I know, all the anthologies are still being published, right? John from zero to where we are today from one to yeah, some of the ones pre pre 20 are are off and on See, the earlier volumes, which is unfortunate, but the earlier volumes was pre ebooks. So the contracts we've got does not include ebooks, oh, okay. it doesn't include audiobooks that didn't exist then. Yeah, so yeah. for us to get new contracts for every winner, it becomes pretty much untenable. The only thing we can actually do is rip a book apart, scan all the pages, and republish it as um, one of these books, which is just we'd have to sell it for like five times what it, what it actually costs. So uh, yeah, this book here can definitely be gotten still at, on um, at galaxy press. It may also be listed on Amazon, but prior to, to volume 20 um, volume 18, we don't have, that's the one where Nettie core for and um, Pat Rothfuss are in that one. So that one's sold out. And um, again, that's the problem with them is getting new contracts for everybody, all the winners, writer winners and artist winners, and judges who uh, participated. So it's, it's a massive yeah, amount of work for yeah. negligible return. Mm. Yeah. Doc, I I can see that. My collection's almost complete, but there's about four. I haven't been able to. Yeah. So yeah. those, if you're missing stuff, either you might be able to find them on Amazon or eBay. That's how other people right. have gone to complete. Yeah, go to, um, the, a lot of times you'll find them. I can't remember the name of that used book place, but a lot of times you'll find them there. 
Well, if you don't mind to use book people, you'd be surprised at books you can find. You'd be surprised at the prices you can find them for. Yeah. And uh, some people just, you know, they've read them as much as they can read them. And, oh, no, you're talking about that 800-year-old Christian Bible. No, I, I don't think you can buy that on eBay. <laughs> Last time I seen that Arab guy was holding on to it like this. I don't, I don't think I don't think anybody's getting to until he dies. I don't think the book's going anywhere. Uh, no, it, it, it's it's not something we'll – well, you know what? That's not true. Um, coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing um, all of the old holy – so a long time ago, I got I got the chance to look at one of the Bible. It's about – I think it was 1,400 years old. And uh, and it's funny because you couldn't touch it. You looked at it and they had a guy who had a little thing that flipped the pages for you. He didn't touch it either. Nobody got to touch the damn book. And uh, – it was in, uh, it was, it was, it was in a special room and a special catacomb. It was just, um, yeah, I wasn't there for that. Actually, I was there for something else. I was got level two clearance in a catacomb, but I wasn't there for that. But while in, I was in a there, special building in Italy, yes. So I was there to look at other things that, that we're not going to talk about on this show. But while I was there, I was, I was just talking with somebody there and he said, Oh no, on the level you're on, they have this. Why don't you take a look? And sure enough, when I, I mean, you couldn't turn it down. Once you've seen it, you were like, Jesus, man, how can you not look at this? And uh, no, it wasn't in English. It was, I think it was, I want to say it was Latin. It may not even been Latin. I'm not sure because he was reading and it didn't sound like any language I was familiar with. You know, I'm pretty familiar with Latin and pig Latin. Yeah. Uh, all my friends, when, <laughs> all my friends when they were young, always wanted yeah, to talk in pig Latin. Pig Latin. Yeah, you know, they always wanted to do that half, but uh, hey, okay. <laughs> It's just, it's just retarded stuff. No, it was, it was very cool to see it though. No, it was, it was, it was. And, um, and, and it's hard to get permits to go in there. You got to go through all kinds of background checks. I actually, I hate to say this. I got a class 10 security country, like one of the highest you can get in this country. And I didn't go through as much bullshit to get in as I did to get in the Vatican. I ain't kidding you. They, they, they not only did they want to know everything, they want to know family line and Catholics all the way back for, I don't know, like 500 years. Thank God I had family in Italy. That's probably the only thing that helped me. Don't ask really? me. That's yeah, I, I, I think that's the only reason. I got some, we got some, we got some, how can I say this? We got some really poor relatives over there. We got some really wealthy ones too. Like one of them, we helped him. He had a monastery in, uh, it's in uh, Montalvo, Italy, and it was falling apart. And he had actually contacted me on one of my radio shows. And we put out, uh, we got him, I think it was uh, like $800,000 in donations. So he wow. could fix it all. And uh, so after that, you know, since I shared the same last name with him, we're kind of like, hey, that's, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Had some perks, apparently. Oh, no, Gene. So uh, so tell me about your story. I mean, we don't want you to tell everything because it's still available to be sold. So it's just like kind of tell me, man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'll do my best. I, I generally write a story and then I, I put it out of my mind. I, I'm the same it, way, so don't feel bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's about an artist Basically, I write fantasy, mostly a little science fiction. And I was a little tired that most stories are about, you know, the end of the world coming mm -hmm. and uh, and so forth. I wanted to write yeah, something a little bit different. So I said, what would be, you know, as important to someone in a certain situation that's not the end of the world? And I decided to write about an artist in the near future, kind of a science fantasy type story who's... Uh, sculpts th uh, things using insects. They've created a device where you can use insects and uh, basically tell them what to do and create temporary sculptures with these living creatures. And um, so he's attained a certain level of fame in Canada and decides to travel to Africa 
to study with the person who founded this particular art form. Uh, but he has to audition, and of course, that doesn't go so well. And then there's um, there's the woman who gives him the interview that he falls madly in love with, but she may or may not actually be human. Oh, shit. Uh, and then there's, of course, the artist somewhere in the background kind of manipulating things. So it's a lot of fun. Let's How do you pronounce that, the city that says this? Cote d'Ivory? How do you pronounce that? Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory Coast. Yeah, I know. I know it's the Ivory Coast, but I doesn't mean I know how to pronounce it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, it, that's the first line of your story. I arrived like, at the Hive cab, Cabaret in Abidjan. Your word? Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. Okay, good. An hour before my audition. There you go. That's your opening line, opening sentence. Uh, so you go check it out, people. Just go over to galaxypress.com. It's easy to just go to Galaxy. I know you all go find yeah. something on Amazon, but it's easy yeah, to just go to Galaxy. It's volume 28. Yes, it's volume 28. Just go over and buy one. Pick it up. Buy it for your kids. Well, I can't say get it for Christmas, but you know, get it for a birthday. Get it for, hey, down here, it's a Mardi Gras. Give it to somebody a Mardi Gras present. Valentine's yeah. Day is coming up pretty soon, too. Yes, Valentine's, yeah, Valentine's, Valentine's Day is the day after. It for you. <laughs> That's right. Valentine's Day is after Mardi Gras, day after, so y'all can go get it. Uh, what is that? Denise, 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 Denise Reefer, Reefer. Is that your last name? Reefer. I'm sorry. Hey, I didn't want to call you Reefer head. <laughs> Denise, Denise Reefer. I'm sorry. Where are you actually from? Queensland. You know, I've always wanted to go to Queensland because that's where Pine Gap is. Uh, you ever, you ever see any UFOs down there? Anyway, what's, what's, let's stay on this show. This, this topic here is books. We're authors in books. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, she, she That's why I'm here to keep you on track. Yeah, let me get let me get recomposed here. She wants to know, um, do you have something out she can read right now besides this? Because she said she's gonna go get this story. And uh, well, you get 12 stories actually when you get this story, you're not just getting one. And then she but she wanted to know if there was something that's she's looking for I, I do remember your comments from last week. So she's looking for something that's that's scary enough, like Chucky, but actually has some class to it. I, I I'm not exactly sure what kind of class she's looking for here, but I guess she's just tired of these, you know, murder books, and and uh, it's just kill, 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 chop your head off, stab somebody back. I understand what yeah, you're I saying. I do have a um a horror short story in an anthology called History and Horror. Oh my, and that's a it's dear to my heart because it's a Western horror story set in uh, in Nevada. Um, but I'm just one story in this anthology. Uh, but that. I grew up on a farm. I could turn the camera around. You could see it, but because um, I'm at my family home. Yeah. And um, yeah, I really like that. I've written a couple of those. I like writing, setting things in smaller towns. As far as fantasy, science fiction type novels, my first one is coming out in September. So you'll have to wait. But there is a, a strong uh, mystery element to that. And it's set in Baja, California, which is pretty unusual, I think. Mm. I've never yeah. read one set there, so. Yeah, we, we know California itself is well. If that's if it doesn't become Atlantis here soon, from what I've been hearing. Yeah, <laughs> I hear y'all are seeking fast out there, man. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit there. But another another good um, uh, psychological thriller, which is like the granddaddy of um, of the psychological thriller, which is a, like a subset of, of horror, is a book called Fear. I don't know if you read that, Scott, or not. The the story Fear by Owen Hubbard. It's probably my third or fourth favorite by uh, L. Ron Hubbard. Yes, a great, it's a great novel. Yeah. Yeah, you read that too, didn't you, Joe? 
Yeah, it's uh, actually I listened to it, but um, yeah, that's yeah, it's, yes, that's it right here. Yeah, fear. There it is, guys. Uh, it's got a great cover on it too. Actually, this one's still in the plastic, which means this one can be given away. There's actually two of them, and I believe now that I said it. Yep, I have one of these left. Wow, the this audio, is the audio version is multicast. Yeah. It's, it's it's like uh, all the sound effects, like radio theater. Didn't well, Steve right, Dick. say he was inspired by that to? Uh, to yeah, Stephen King was. Yeah, and Ray Bradbury was so inspired by it. He actually hired people to turn it into a play that they could like perform, and he could get the idea of how how Hubbard did some of the different things he did to create the suspense. So it was an actual play that he did. He didn't record it. It was just it was they produced they mm. produced it for him, so he could get how how Hubbard created that suspense and what he did said he could use that in, in his own writing. Yeah. It's a very psychological, it goes really in depth and you're never quite yeah. sure if, if what's yeah. happening is in the character's mind or real or some combination. Yeah. Like you start to be in it, like this is absolutely plausible. It could actually happen. And so it's, that's what makes it even more spooky. And so this girl that you, that asks, this is something that is, is it's best not to read it at night. A lot of people say, no, I can't read it at night oh, before sure. going to bed. So now, Scott, you're still there in Orange County, right? Yeah, most of the time. I'm in Julian right now outside of San Diego. But yes. I, okay. But your home's in Orange County, so Julian. So that's, yeah. So it was, it was a cheap plane fare for Scott to get up to the awards event. Well, I uh, I hope you got a boat out there outside of San Diego. I was talking to a friend of mine from San Diego. He's trying to get me. He's trying to talk me into coming down and bringing a crew. He's because we specialize in being in Louisiana. We specialize in flood damage. And he's like, you ought to come down. You ought to come down. You ought to come down. I said, man, I don't know if I got enough people to leave up here and to come down there at the same time. But uh, we do. We do specialize. That's what we do. Hurricane damage down here. But it's a, And the best part is, is we know how to deal with the insurance company. That's the hardest part. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it, it wrecks your house and your life is a, you know what, but if you don't have a contractor that knows how to deal with your insurance company, you are not going to get what you want out of it. Um, it just uh, They just do not care what the homeowners think. Uh, so now, you know, if you now once you get to be a famous novelist with like four movies to your credit, then they'll say, yes, sir, what can I do for you, sir? Can I have your autograph, sir? Uh, you know, the, the things change then, but until then... Right. Um, I, I, it is weird to see that much rain out in California. Though, really. Yeah, we got another major one coming in uh, tomorrow. They're saying yeah. they're having news alerts coming up saying for Sunday and Monday, just like they've been saying, okay, prepare, 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 because this is going to be the biggest one yet in the last couple of years. Yeah, so, Jan Reno is always in the same locations, right? Mission Valley and Malibu and yeah. a few other places. I mean, where, yeah. where our, my office is, we, we noticed a little water coming down and we kind of went and looked up and there was a whole pipe just open to the, to the air. And we had never noticed it before because we get so little, little <laughs> so weather. Little rain, yeah. <laughs> We're like, Oh, we shouldn't have an open pipe through the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a bad, bad thing. Um, Janet Reno is writing in. She is from Saskatchewan, Canada. And this is for both of you. Actually, for all three of us. She wanted to know uh, what is the scariest book you have ever read? I think there was one we were just talking about. But anyway, any any others out there? Because uh, what do you? Everybody wants to be scared lately. What is this? Fear is I, the scariest yeah. novel for me. Uh, and then, but maybe even more scary is something called Dark Descent, which chronicles kind of horror 
throughout the ages. And and um, it's a it's a big fat volume, and it divides things up into like psychological horror and ghost stories and other things. And uh, I can't tell you the individual stories, but I had to put it down and read it in in periods, like a week and then off and then another week, because that was very scary. Well, there's one that um, I've read several books, and it's. It's a near future science fiction military thrillers called the Monroe Doctrine by James Rassone. He's been a guest on the podcast and it takes place just in near a couple of years down the road from now. But he is like 25 years in the military. He was um, an interrogator in the, in the Mideast. And um, so he knew a lot of this stuff and has his own opinions about things that happened, um, you know, with... Um, what you hear on the media versus what really happened because he was there. And, but he talks about this, uh, this computer program or this uh, computer site that, um, that China has created that everybody becomes addicted to and China is using it for their AI to, to learn. Uh, it's, called learning. it's called TikTok and <laughs> they're learning on it. And from there, it, they it built up more and more and more. It's called Jade Dragon. It's the name of the computer. Mm. And they launched World War Three. They then go and attack. They how they do how they go about doing it. And it just gradually escalates. I'm in volume seven now, but it's um, the, the whole thing of AI then creating the, um, the, the AI robots that can actually autonomous and because it's jade dragon it is so advanced it's more advanced than either computer on the planet so it can because it's been tracking everybody from doing these uh following on tiktok it knows what people will do it can profile by country and by leader and they do all the the fake the ai has all the um um the, the fake uh, videos and fake, po fake posts and they, they can duplicate what the voices say. So they've, they put up these posts of the president saying things that he didn't say or she didn't say, and it creates internal strife. And then it, that sets it up so that there can be distraction enough for attack. attack. That to me is, that's one of the scariest things. That's closest to what I see happening in, in current, you know, um, scenarios. And really? so that's like, that's like reality, but that's like he's written things. So it's like in, it it starts off in 2025. So it's like a year, a little over a year from now. I'm like wow, and I've I've interviewed him on the podcast, but that's that one's really to me is very very scary because that's so close to reality being near future, like next year. Jack, I'm hoping I'm dead for AI takes over. Uh, Reese. Yes, I do remember though Mega Man, and it was scary, but only because I was little when I seen the Vincent Price movie. That's the only reason. Uh, no, when I read the book, the book, but that's because I okay, I seen the stupid movie first and then read the book, so it made it double scary for me. And uh, well, because the movie was scary when you're five. Now, when you're my age now, it's just funny as hell. But right. <laughs> well, when you watch it today, it's funny. I mean, you know, maybe if you're a kid, it's not funny, but no, I mean back then that was scary stuff, man. Today it's not now. It was like there was some zombie movie used to scare the crap out of me too. My mom used to laugh her ass off. It's uh, I don't I still hey look I still don't like zombies as a full grown ass man. That's why I own all them swords in the other room. I still don't like this stuff. I'm ready for the zombie apocalypse. No, no, I, I, I've, I've read different things scared. I'm not a really easily scared person to start off with, but 
Oh, the one, the bravest person I ever knows though is Linda. She's she's insane. I mean, Miss, I'll go walking on military bases and shit. She don't care. And uh, uh, oh, and then there, of course, is Michelle DeRoche who likes to go sleep in dead people's houses and stuff. I don't think anything scares her. That's our station manager, ladies and gentlemen. And she will go. She's got bled and pale as chain nail. Yes, she hangs it behind her, on her chair. Uh, <laughs> she, she. Oh no! In, any place she can go that anybody like that's been or slept or been in, she'll go get in their bed and stuff, or bring their furniture home to her house. She's crazy. Huh. She's crazy. That's why she's a station manager because she got to deal with all these crazy hosts we got. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to go sleep in nobody's dead house. Come on. Uh, Amityville, how many people died there? I don't want to go sleep down. I don't have no desire. And if I do sleep down, bring in Martha with me. Uh, yes, my nine millimeter, that's Martha. Yes, she's coming with me. So <laughs> I'll make sure they don't come back. Um, I don't know. I, I, just, I just, there's a lot of scary stuff out there to watch. There's lots of scary movies to watch. I really like near sci fi. I, li- I like what can be scary, but I like it to be fun, like in uh, Expanse when the guy hits the ring and, and all you see is the image of him just turning into liquid and going forward. That's a good scene because that's actually how that shit would happen when, when you're going that fast and you just stop. Uh, mm-hmm. And then stuff like I'm the man, you know, that those kind of things stick with you in, in certain scenes. But uh, there's a lot of good stuff to watch. It's just, unfortunately for me, I think I've watched everything now, I don't know, three times, four times. So yeah, I'm a and, fan uh, of this. The, the genre is like Resident Evil where it's, yeah, it's horror, but it's more action than horror. You know, yeah, it's a lot of action with some horror thrown in there. With yeah. a horror horror base with a bunch of action on top of it, I guess would be a better way of saying it. Uh, Underworld, and, uh, Resident Evil, and that that sort of thing. Are which a lot what of do you got? Five Resident Evil movies now, I think four, six, uh, I think. Yeah, it might be. It's it's a, there's a bunch. Yeah, yeah. I know I've seen like three of. What do you mean, Raccoon City? People, you should know if you play Resident Evil, you should know all of that. Um, no, I never played Raccoon. Were you trying to get me in trouble? Lord, the only one I ever got mad at my son playing was that stupid clown game because it was it was it was very violent, but there was a lot of sex violence in it. I was like, "Whoa, son, how are you? Like eight? No, you don't need to play this game for another ten years or so." I was like, "Get off of this!" I can't remember the name of it, but uh, it was it was definitely it was definitely crazy. What do you mean, Janine? You mean fear games? I, I don't. It's hard to have, okay, it's hard to do a game like a movie where you're on the edge of your seat being scared. It's it's because you have more control in the game than you do in the movie. So you know what the next move is going to be and stuff like that. And you've probably already had your head chopped off like five times, so it doesn't really <laughs> have, have the same effect, you know. I, I'm just saying, it's, it's different. It's uh, different. I, I, I can't honestly say I've ever been scared by any games I've played. And you, no, maybe well, some you, VR games uh, could do that, but I haven't played any. Yeah, I haven't played any of those. I could either, but what's my favorite game ever? I'm not going to tell you because you'll just laugh. No, no. Pong was fun. Go it ahead, was, Joe. It's fine. It was it was Pebble Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I love to play golf again. It says Pebble Beach Golf Course. Yeah, oh, <laughs> golf course. I thought it was a sim. <laughs> no, you know, I, I did play the Sims, and I did like. Um, What's it called? Uh, Civilization. Civilization was a good game because it was really based yeah. on our politics and on the way the world works. So it was really, it was, it was fun. And, and of course, the game could last for two weeks at a time. So, yeah. Especially if you're playing 36 countries. But anyway, we don't care about all of that. Um, what's that, Johnny? 
Oh, so well, I think you said it, but I, I'll ask him again. So Johnny's just asking, what is your favorite genre to write in? What, what what do you really feel comfortable writing in? I'm pretty sure I told this earlier, but we're going to ask him again. Yeah, I'm it's I'm more of a fantasy writer. Uh, I do some science fiction elements, but it's what you'd probably call science fantasy because I don't try to make the uh, you know the tech accurate. I went I tried that route for a while, and I was reading all the science journals and everything. Um, cause I have sort of a scientific mind, but I didn't like what I was writing any better than the fantasy. And I was spending hours and hours and hours reading science journals. In fact, I felt that working too hard on the technology took away from the characters. So I stick with fantasy mostly. And I do like short fiction in that sense, because I can experiment a little, I can write a sci-fi story here. I can write science fantasy there and so forth and just see if I want to go that way. But I always come back to, uh, to fantasy. What uh, David Farland, one of the former judges there, called wonder literature, where the, the, pri- the first and primary um, emotion you're trying to garner from your reader is you know, a sense of wonder. And I just never, I never got over that, you know, uh, reading The Lord of the Rings the first time and reading mm-hmm. Chronicles of Narnia the first time or Earthsea. Just a sense of wonder as you're carried through these worlds that uh, these amazing authors have created. If I can get somewhere near that, I'll be very happy. Now, the Lord of Rings got me through tech school in the Navy. I got to say, it helped me out a lot because my brain would get so intense with all the electronics and air, air stuff all day. When I got, I couldn't sleep and I just pick one of them up. And a friend of mine just got, I had never even heard of him. I was, what, eight, 19 at the time, never even heard of him. He said, Here, read this. And he handed me the first one. I started reading. And I was like, Once I got into it, I was just gone in a book and i gotta say it's it's probably one of the first books i've read that the movie wasn't horrible <laughs> after the book well it's, you never know what you're gonna get with a movie when it, when it comes out of a book you just never know what the hell you're gonna end up with but no it did it did, help me did an amazing job yeah, yeah they, no they did they did they did an amazing job with it no i read um actually see i read the lord of the rings first and then i read the hobbits at the hobbit afterwards yes mm-hmm. Because that's how it was given to me. So I should have read The Hobbit first, but I read Lord of the Rings first. Well, some of the things in Lord of the Rings would have made more sense if I'd have read The Hobbit first. That's all. It's uh, but you know, it, it's it's like I was I was listening to a group the other day talking about reading um, J.K. Rollins' books and what the difference between the books were and the actual movies themselves. I, I be honest with you, I've never read J.K. Rollins' books. I don't know. And, uh, but I heard, I heard a lot of people, some people really said it was good. And some people really said that they did a, a botched job. Harry Potter was Harry Potter to me. You know, that's, that's what it was. It was just, it was fun to watch. I don't think it was supposed to be meant to be taken real serious. <laughs> I think it was just supposed to be. Yeah, fun that was, to watch. that was unfortunate when she kept on getting attacked and having to defend herself and how she, how, what her different characters were. I yeah. enjoyed this series. I like sometimes just a, a fun YA book. Um, it's a standard MO, you know, it's like, uh, you've got a little kid that never follows directions. He's, you say, don't go in there and they go in there and that's the start of your story. And that's just Harry Potter to the T. That, that's what it was. And, and, and if and you want yeah. to enjoy that, and I, I it was fun. It was just, it, it was it, just refreshing. It, 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 and at least she was smart and stayed out of politics till after they were written. Because I know when she wrote her second set of books, the, um, well, I can't think of the name of them now. Uh, she started talking about her politics and her sales were far less than the original. And yeah. I, tell it to, I tell it to people all the time, you know, 
No talk politics unless you're willing to lose half your audience. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just, oh, what you got back to you? Let's see what kind of books you got back there, man. The blow says ring her off, but it, it lied to me. <laughs> it lied to you. It, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, so I, I, that's what I tell people all the time. Unless, unless you're, you're willing to deal with the, the, the problems of talking about politics, you should stay out of it. And she found yeah. out the hard way. Uh, what was the one to, the burden to animals? What was, what were they called? Uh, oh man, I can't think of it for nothing. Oh, but those were, I don't think she wrote those. I think those were movies. Um, yeah, they were movies, uh, but she had to do with it. Like yeah, yeah, because I've seen her names on them. I don't, I don't know if she wrote them or helped produce them or what the hell went on there. Or they talked her into just stamping her name on there, which <laughs> I'm not going to rule that out. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not going to rule it out, but it was big, it was kind of based on the Harry yeah. Potter series. So, yeah. Uh, it, 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 it was funny. I just, you know, I, I try stuff like that. I try to stay out of politics. You know, some stuff I expect, like the Expanse series, and I expected to see politics in that. That's the kind of right. series it is. Or like um, Altered Carbon, I expected to see it there too, and other places, but eh, not so much in these. I mean, these these are supposed to be fun. Besides, kids don't know what the hell politics are anyway. Only thing they know about is what mom and dad are screaming at the TV about. <laughs> that's that's the only thing they really know. And, and I wouldn't want to write a, write a political book. We'll leave that for John. His first novel is going to be. Gavin <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> we want to write a book. He's like well Gavin known for uh, speaking of political thoughts on, on the air. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, you know, um, it's not, it's not a rule on our network. It is a thing we tell people that be careful. See, it's different for me because I'm, I'm a centrist anyway. So it doesn't matter if I talk about politics, I piss off both sides regularly. So it doesn't really hurt. It doesn't really hurt my listenership on any of my other radio shows because uh, they don't care. As long as I'm picking on both sides, they don't care. If I, if I take yeah. a side, oh no, then there goes half my audience. But as long as I hate on both sides, they don't care. But it's hard, you know, for people to do it's that. Really hard. On Writers of the Future, I mean, I, I make a point of not being political and staying clear of that because I've got the full spectrum with Writers of the Future because writers oh, and yeah. artists are, are the full left and right. Yes, so, they are. When I post the picture with, uh, I mentioned this to you last week before, Joe, and you you immediately gave me your your perspective on it, which is the reason why I never do this stuff. I had a picture with me with Adam Schiff, and you. Adam, well, we're not even going to use his name correctly. <laughs> and you immediately reacted on that, and then on the other hand, I had a a picture with um, someone who's uh, uh, Joy. She's the one that used to go to the events and wearing the the Trump the you know, the uh, Joy, I forget her last name right now, but she went to the to the um, uh, Grammys a couple times and uh, wearing those dresses she made that had like the, the the dead babies and stuff to making her political stuff there. And she yeah. was, uh, yeah, I remember and, that. Uh, so I had that there. And then the people on the left said, how can you do, you know, do that? So it's just kind of like, I stay clear of that whole thing because- Nothing to do. Private yeah. Peace is totally about, the arts writing and art and it's not political. And so I never let my political views come out in there, no matter how I feel like oh, I got to say something because I don't got to say something. No, you know, you don't, you know, I, just, <laughs> I, I tell that to people all the time. I said, you don't have to, because people don't want to express their politics to me all the time. When they hear me, I'm like, you don't have to express your politics. You can keep them to yourself. You know that, right? Oh, but what's, what's, what's the good as keeping them to yourself? I said, mm, somebody won't smack you upside your head. Uh, <laughs> well, today's days, you know, today's dangerous to talk about politics. I mean, I'm lucky I'm big guys and most people aren't going to bug me about it, but, 
and and I will tear somebody up on Polly. It doesn't matter, you know. I, I'm I'm just as bad with tearing up Governor Newsom as I am about tearing up Governor uh, Santos. It doesn't matter to me. I find fault with both of the idiots. So, you know, I can get away. That's why I said I can get away with it, but most people can't. We had um, oh, uh, what's his name on Johnny Lead on the one of the he was the guy the hitman for the Gambito family. He was the one who went around taking care of everybody for Mister Gambino, and uh, even he who served jail time in a Brazilian prison and a Turkish prison was scared to talk politics. That should warn everybody right there. I mean, this guy served <laughs> seven <laughs> years in a Brazilian prison, did five in a Turkish prison and was scared to talk politics. That, that, that should just tell you all you need to know. Just stay away from it. It was uh, and he was, he was definitely the hitman for the Gambinos for a long time. That's so, unfortunate because it, it shouldn't be that way, but it's the same thing talking religion. You can't talk oh, religion. You can't talk religion either. It's, mm-hmm. it's, that's equally as, as divisive as, as uh, politics. And uh, it's unfortunate because that tends to further um, imbue the divisiveness because the more you don't talk about it, then the more it gets that, it, it causes that, that, um, they, they just need to learn tolerance is all it is. Look, you don't like somebody's politics. Don't listen. You don't have to start a confrontation. Same thing with religion. You don't have to start a confrontation. I guess after, you know, 2000 years of killing each other, probably more like 5,000 years of killing each other, over religion, it's hard to stop. But, um, eh, then you know. take a look at like, I don't have a problem talking about media. So LA times, they're absolutely horrific. They, you can take, you know, an incident, and they'll turn it into controversy or somehow to show how it's it's bad. Like, you see, um, uh, shootings is, is like the, the last shooting in Las Vegas. The, the article came out like um, it was multiple deaths in the shooter, and it was just it came out there was one. But they take it and they take it to the to the extreme, and they don't understand why it is that they're readership continues to get less and less and less they had to fire off a bunch of people they got a new editor-in-chief now because the other one quit they had to fire another 20 of their of their staff and it gets worse and worse and worse but it's just they've got this weird mentality that they need to create this um the controversy the harm the uh, dialectic materialism big money blood the more that has that the, the top right column of any newspaper has got the most of those points in it. You know, it's just, but that's what their mentality is. And it's just unfortunate. It, just, it creates that. And so you can see something with, on New York, on LA Times, if Trump says something, you're going to have, you know, your Fox News, you're going to have your right wing stuff, and then you have your left wing. So LA Times guaranteed to spin it, you know, um, left, and you're going to have something on the right spinning it right. It's just like, it's just automatically you're going to have that. There's no just straight, here's the facts, here's the news, here's what's happening. And um, that's why I'm, the one I like is the 1440. I don't know if you've listened to that or used that as a, as a news source. That's what I, that's what I read because you just say, here's the date on, you can make your own decision on what you yeah. think. So that, that, that's, what, that's what we do on Friday night. So we take, like last night we crossed, I think, 30 topics. Last, last week we did more. So we, we actually will most of the time tell you where the topic's coming from, what, what article, who wrote the article. Because uh, you can tell when it's the NBC or CNN. CNN now is getting a little more blurred, so they, they must have picked up some conservatives recently. But NBC, you know when you're reading it. So there was this thing that came out about Trump in Georgia, because uh, it looks like now it, that the Georgia case isn't going to go to trial before the election. So 
I went on four conservatives and four lefties. Oh my God. It's just too funny because first off, they're like complete opposites. Like conservatives. Oh my God, look at this. Another victory for Trump. Blah, blah, blah. And of course the conservatives, oh no, this is just a way to slow it down, but he's still going to prison, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's just, it's, they don't, they can't get in the middle. So when we, when we read the article, I read the article, I said, look guys, and I said they want to investigate this girl because she was sleeping with her her uh, with her prosecutor. So they want to investigate her. I said that's what's going on here. They the the, the judge the group of nine put a stay on the case until they can find out that there's not other funky stuff going on here. So yeah, they're probably right. It won't, but but that's all the story was. It wasn't really a lefty or a righty story. It was just hey, we caught the the, the main prosecutor doing funky stuff. She paid. Um, she paid uh, her boyfriend when she paid anybody else by a hundred thousand dollars a year, and they were supposed to be working hourly. And then, of course, she's sleeping with the guy, and and he's in charge. Well, after her, she's in charge of the case. So it could be just a tiny bit of conflict of interest. So uh, they're looking into it, which of course slowed it down. But that's all the case was. It wasn't, you know, Trump stabbed at her death or anything like that. Or you know, it was just it was. And then we had a lot of people write into us. Oh, thank you. That's what it was. Cause we, cla- well, basically what we do a lot on Friday night is clarify. Uh, Cause you get so much, even Fox has gotten so bad about it. Uh, they'll, they'll put out a story and you're like, no, that's not what this story actually is. Let's talk about what's actually going on here. Like they put out a big story. They, they put out teasers for the, you know, to be, uh, what is it? The B-21 Raiders coming out. We, they're going into mass producing. Well, they had all these stories about this murderous jet and this other thing. And this. It, then they had it as a hunter. It was a stealth hunter killer. It hunted down. None of this is true, by the way. It doesn't hunt down stealth planes. It's not what it does. It's a bomber who carries nuclear weapons to blow the living crap out of stuff. But even that was different in every article. They just couldn't put down what the airplane was. All this article was about is the United States decided, the Pentagon decided we're going to mass produce the B-21 bomber for the U.S. Air Force, and this is what they do. And that was it. But when you read the other articles, it was all kind of just just park belly garbage loaded into the articles that had no business being there. So, you know, an article that took 20 minutes to read on CNN took about two minutes to talk about on, on live on the air. It's, it's just sad. It, it's just sad. I mean, it's like when we get new, you know, it's the same thing, though, because when people send me stuff about, oh, I got a new book out, you know, a lot of times I'll I'll get a I'll get a um, a description longer than the book. <laughs> like, come on, now. I'm like, come on, people, get a grip on this shit. I'm like, this is you can't. Or my favorite thing is, and authors, all authors are bad about this, especially newbies. The older they get, the, the better they get, but. I cannot tell you how many authors I've interviewed were talking, la, 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 just chit-chat, la, la, la. And I'll say, tell me a little bit about the book, and they'll tell me you like the start of the book. And, and i said, just talk about the middle. Don't go, oh, no, they'll talk about And then, of course, i got to talk about what's going on at the end. Well, you can't do that. Most Americans are smart enough. You're giving them three pieces of everything, they're going to figure out the story, and then they're not going to buy the book. And That's uh, part so, of what we do. You've been there for that. And I, did, I don't know if you had it when you were there, Scott. We do a um, – now we have an official – the day after the awards ceremony, we do a how to promote yourself. And one of the things we go over also is the elevator pitch or the description of the story that makes the person want to read it and not give away the story. Yeah. I don't know if we had that when you were there. I don't think you did. And uh, yeah. man, I'd love to sit in on that. That would be great. Yeah. It's, it's a real good thing. And maybe if you're, um, you know, I'll just eat, shoot me an email after seeing you so that when we do it right. um, this year, I'll, I'll invite you to come to us on, it'll be on Friday, the day after, if you're, if you're not working on uh, Friday, the day after the uh, award ceremony, to um, be there and, and just 
how we do it because it's it's quite fascinating. That. We go over the doing the we call it the elevator pitch, but it's talking about your story that's going to result in somebody wanting to. to buy it's, a, and it's, a, it's a good class. I sat in. It's, yeah. I've sat in. It, so yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, somebody I'll asked me this. Ride for the airport for that. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I've been volunteering. In fact, Joe, I I knew I'd seen your name earlier because mm. um. You were on my list to give a ride to the airport at one of the uh, rides of the future. One, oh yeah, look, uh, yeah, well, I, I like I was, to talk. It turned to out it. someone else got that got that trip. But, oh, uh, well, you know, so yeah, I've been uh, meeting so many interesting people by volunteering for that. That's uh, great and, uh, that you help on that. Yeah, it is, and, yeah, and I, you know, I, there's so many good people involved in that. Much more than a week. Um, but, <laughs> so I was at. Um, oh, thanks. A whole week. <laughs> <I was at>. <laughs> <laughs> I was at um, Mississippi State recently giving away books is what I was doing. And I gave a, it was a lecture on politics. And uh, and I was talking about it. Usually at the end, writers of the future will come up on some of these lectures. Uh, mainly because of stuff I've mentioned during a lecture. But so somebody's like, well, you should put a course together on everything. I said, no. I said, first of all, John would shoot me. <laughs> I said, actually, John would shoot me. Emily and Joni would beat the crap out of me. Is what would happen. And uh, because they hear me talk about it. But it's all teaser stuff. I don't really go into any details because most of most of what I have or what I listen to from like Tim and Jody or, or any anybody who's speaking, you know, goes in the back of my head or goes into a notebook for stuff that I might personally be working on. And when people hear us talk about it, they're all like, well, God, it was saving so much time. I said, well, you know, there is a course on writers of the future. Dot com. I said, just go over there and take the course. It, it amazes me. You tell these people about this course 50, 60, 70 times. But yet the next question is, we well, should just put it in an audio tape for us so we could listen to it in our car. I'm like, I said, then we'd have to charge for it. I said, that would be a big mess. I said, there's too many people involved. I was like, it wouldn't work. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, no, there's a lot. I said, each judge would have to give their permission. I said, just, it just, it would be a nightmare. Uh, I said, there's too many involved. I said, all I can tell you is if you want to do it that way, you got to win. That's all I can tell you. If you want to hear it from this side, you're going to have to win. I mean, I understand their points because when when I when I was talking with this, uh, Sean Haslam and I were talking about this a couple of weeks back. And when you when you talk about it, it does sound like a really good idea. But when you put it into theory for what it actually is, it sounds like a really bad idea. Um, so it's just one of those things that's not going to ever happen. So I don't worry about it. But you know, it's it's when you when they hear us talk about um, different things, different things that you're learning, or different suggestions, or stuff that you hear. Like I was talking about, what's her name with the um, where she she gives rolls the dice and you pick the the Nina Kariki Hoffman. I was talking about her and everybody said, "Oh my God, that sounds so great!" I said, "Well, you don't need to take the course." Or I said, "You can actually look that up online if you want." Or I said, "I can give y'all more details." I said, because in the beginning, I told her no. And she said, oh, no, Joe, you got to do this. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I said, I'll go right, give you the stuff. I'll give it a try. And uh, no, I wasn't part of the class, people. I was, I was there working press, but obviously she decided I was part of the class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, Scott, anything that you remember from like the workshop, like any of the essays or any of the stuff? Like you said, you had Tim and um, well, the other was it uh, Tim working? Nina was there. She was the other uh, person, Nina Kriki Hoffman. Yeah. Oh man, that was a long time ago. I mean, the thing that's probably most people think was most impactful was the uh, twenty-four hour story. Now I was just getting ready to ask you if y'all did yeah. it. Then. That's that's my yeah, favorite where, thing, by um, the way. Would we have to um, pull something out of a hat that had, uh, and there was uh, an L. Ron Hubbard article of the same name that uh, we read beforehand, and then magic uh, out of the hat, yeah. 
mask out of hat and then go to the library and grab uh, a book at random, I think, and then interview someone at random on the street, as I recall, were the three things. And then whatever you got, no matter how <laughs> unlikely you had to put that together in a 24 hour story. You had 24 hours to write it. I, I, I got to say, I've, I've read some pretty good stories out of them. 24. I haven't read them all since I've been there, but I've mm -hmm. read a lot of them, at least 20 of them. And well, the story I, I mentioned uh, uh, that was in the History and Horror Oh My was that story, actually. It was purchased. Yeah, that, for that, that happens anthology. so often for authors yeah, that yeah. continue on. Their 24-hour story ends up getting sold. That's that's way cool. Yeah. I, I don't I know who it was. The person I happened to mention, or I happened to interview on the street there, of course, it's Hollywood, so it's not that surprising, but was a ma magician. And he started to show me his his close magic, and it was as good as anything I've ever seen, you know. And he could just make things disappear right in front of you. And it was it was really a blast. So I, I used that as inspiration for the story. Well, that's I love cool. them 24s. You know, I was just, yeah. just uh, yesterday, I was working on a website. I was putting up uh, some pictures for the last three years. And uh, which I get a lot of you, John, and I got a lot of Emily too. And well, I got a lot of everybody, but I was just, I was putting them up and there's lots of pictures of uh, Tim Powers one year asked me, he said, can you go up and just sneak around and get pictures of him? We were, I think we were at the Roosevelt that year and uh, everybody was downstairs. At least more than half of them were downstairs in the lobby, writing. And I was sitting upstairs on the, on the next floor up with the camera zooming in. It was just, some of these faces are just, y'all got to see these are priceless. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't remember. I was, I was going to meet John for breakfast one morning. I had got up. I got early and I was, it was like seven 30 morning. And the guy hands me, can you read this real fast? Tell me what you think. And I read it, it was a really good story. I said, well, this is really good, man. You ought to sell this damn thing. And then uh, I remember, um, I think when we interviewed him, Carmen booked him six months later, he said he had sold the story. It's um, for the life of me. I can't remember who the hell it was. And I'm like, you want me to read at this time in the morning? <laughs> I said, I said, let me at least get a cup of coffee, man. <laughs> so I can read. Yeah, but it was a good story. And um, But I remember a couple of them telling me stuff like, oh, I wrote it and I tore it up. I wrote it and I trashed it. I wrote it and trashed it. And I looked at the clock. It's 4 a.m. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Because <laughs> I got to have it for like 8. And, um, it's, and then some people said, just sat down and wrote it. It, it's amazing to me the difference in the way people's minds work. Because I mean, right. just See, I'm a morning person. So I think when I went to bed, it was not late because that doesn't work for me. It was like 11. Mm -hmm. and I just got up at five and wrote it. And that works really well because I'm a morning person. Plus, it has to be done by eight or whatever. So my mm -hmm. mind just clicks into gear. Okay, it's got to be done by this time. And, and, I, I, and I think that was true for some yeah, people. That's good. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, I've seen some of them just. You know, sit down. Um, I can't remember. Oh, I think it was Chris. Just went and got a cocktail and sat down and started writing. And uh, one of the girls just sat down and started writing. And it's hard because it's not real noisy down there on the weekdays. When closer you get to the weekend, the worse it gets. But uh, there's a lot of milling around going on. And there's a lot of us walking around. You know, you'll see you'll see um, either people like me or John or somebody else, the judges and all just milling around doing stuff just, you know, so they can they, they want to be available so people can talk to them, which is why they're there. And um it's funny because sometimes when people are trying to write this story, it makes them nervous because they feel like they're missing out on something. You know, they want to write the story, but, oh, they see Tim over there or somebody else over there they want to talk to. So they want to stop and, 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 and go talk to them and come back and write or go maybe get some suggestions and come back and write or things like that. It's, it's, but it is really weird to watch them. It really is. It, it's fun, but 
Y'all got it. You'll see when I post them on. Some of the expressions are just horrible. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, this guy looks like he's about to commit suicide, man. <laughs> it was, it was bad. But I got some good pitches with the judges, and I got some good pitches with writers of the future people. I'm gonna have to. Um, I'll probably won't get finished with this for another two weeks, but I didn't realize I had 2,800 pictures to put up, and uh, I'm, I got to put them all up. And then the site's already set in private mode. And then I'll send it to John with a link and a code, and then they can go all look through it. And I uh, see if there's anything uh, they don't want up there. I got my very first picture I ever took when I was there is, is his wife on a Tuesday night. And she looks like she's ready to slap the shit out of somebody. <laughs> I was like, I got to keep this one. It's a good picture of her. I mean, you know, but, you know, she just got this really intense look on like, don't don't mess with me, people. Just leave me alone. Let me let, let me at least get my glass of wine before you come over here and start messing with me. Now, she produces the event now. So there's yeah. a lot of. There's a lot of moving parts on that that she has to keep track of. But I'm just curious, Scott, now as an author, because you've got a, a full-time job, plus you've got a, a family with some serious family needs that you need to, to also be responsible for. Then you're also writing, and then you got to what get up in the morning and milk the cows and, and, and pull the weeds <laughs> out of the, the wheat field or something. So what's your schedule like, and how do you fit in writing? <laughs> it's not so easy, but um, I try to um... – you know, I get up at six. Uh, I'll just give you the whole thing. I stretch because yeah. otherwise I feel uh, bad the whole day. Then a quick breakfast. And then I either take my girls to school. Uh, well, you know, I have one girl who has an illness, so she generally right. can't go to school. But um, or if my wife's able to do that, then I go to the coffee shop and I write for one to two hours. Two is always the goal, but it depends on the work schedule. But I like to do it in front of people. I just, I don't know, a little background noise, a nice espresso. It's my thing, you know. Yeah. And too many pastries, unfortunately. Red <laughs> <laughs> uh, pastries, man. Then I go to work and uh, work till six usually, come home and do the family thing, or I work out and do the family thing. So that's my main schedule. But I yeah. always tackle uh, too many, too many projects because we have all that. Then we, we have the museum that we've put together and uh, it's a little museum of Orange County history. And that's cool. It's too, it's too much, <laughs> but I don't know how to stop. Yeah. It, well, it is. It's, it's once you, once you, once you start living like that, it's hard to say, well, you know, people were laughing because yeah, you know, I was, I was, uh, was last year, year before last, I was talking to somebody at the, the event and they're like, do any of y'all ever stop? She said, I thought John and were busy, but I watch you. I said, no. I said, anybody who's involved with this in a working way is, is just going the whole time they're there uh, for some reason or another. I probably get get less uh, less movement than they do because I can sneak around and sit down and get a picture here or get a picture there. Or, mm-hmm. Of course, a lot of times I like to go sit and listen in the classes and get in. And I usually sit on an angle so I can see the class and take pictures. But I also get to listen. So I'm learning just like they are. You know, I, I've learned all kind of stuff sitting there listening well i you know i i totally agree with the expression you know if you want something done quickly give it to a busy person yeah that's true that's completely true in life yeah you know my my, i usually get up around seven and uh by the time i get through my day job i usually get in around six that's why i got michelle managing the station because on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'm hosting, and Saturdays, I'm hosting. So, like Friday night, I don't, I don't get to through to about three a.m., four a.m., and then I'm usually up again because my chihuahuas think Daddy needs to be up at seven. Um, oh, it's time to get up, Dad. No, no, it's not. Oh, yes, it is. And uh, people, yeah, don't have chihuahuas unless you're ready to wake up when they want to wake up. 
and uh, it, it just, it just, it's a nonstop. And you know, at least I know when I cross over, I won't be going. Well, you know, I wasn't sitting around idle for the whole entire time. <laughs> I was busy, and I like to be busy. It keeps me out of trouble. It really does. Yeah. It's uh, and I'm and I can't sleep, so you know, I don't ever sleep more than six hours. I need to keep busy until I go to sleep. It's uh, and if, I can't even. I'm one of the people you can't even put anything new on around me when I'm going to bed, or I'll stay up another two hours. It's uh, so I got to find something stupid I've probably seen five hundred times, which drives other people in the house crazy. Yeah, it's, but it's yeah, it's put me to sleep. What is that, Janine? Um, he just told you he's got kids and he's married. I'm going to ban that question in the future. I was talking with Michelle about that. <laughs> I know it's flattering. I'm going to. I'm just going to imagine what she might be thinking. <laughs> you know, it's well. It's funny. We get it. We get it. I, I, I have not. I don't think it's. Somebody's always asked that question on every show, and uh, I guess there's a lot of a lot of single people listening. Uh, no, John Johnson, 13 and 15. Oh my God. Bless you. They are amazing. Ah, bless you. You're going to heaven for sure. It's, uh, <laughs> I gave him the talk a while back. The talk mm -hmm. was men are evil. They That's will right. say anything <laughs> to right. get what they want. <laughs> evil, that no good my dogs. Talk. My wife That's does right. And then. <laughs> Uh, I always told my stepdaughter, I said, they're evil and I will kill them. You do know that, right? So, you just need to... so I love they'd come to pick them up. I said, you know, I'm not a really dad, so I will mess you up bad. But, but, but Mr. Joe, no, 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 Mr. Joe, you do exactly what you told me. You have everything exactly right. Or your daddy will be visiting you in a pine box. <laughs> they were always like, <laughs> and I'm kind of a scary little guy to start off with. Here. And I, and I stepped, he's just a big teddy bear. He'd never do that. And the guy's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, whatever, man. Oh Lord. I wish I could scare my daughter-in-law. I like that. She don't care. She's hard headed. It's, um, what's that Janine? No, I mean, no, there's this, um, what do you mean? paperback versus hardcover. What are you talking about? Most books you can get in both. Not all, but most you can get in both. No, I am. I, I do Rise prefer hardcover. Future are one format, right? Trade paperback yeah. now? Yeah. yeah, now that Rise of the Future, this is, this one here was mass market, which is the, also called pocketbook because it was originally the size of it that you could actually fit in your, you know, dungaree pockets or something like that. And then trade paperback is the same size as like a hardcover book, but it's a soft cover instead of a hardcover. It's like six by nine. So it's they like. They have really nice artwork now, full color and glossy. Yeah, yeah. It's a big change. Nice. Yeah. 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 That was the last year of the pocket size. And what's the my Well, 29 actually. 29 actually was. Oh, 29 was. Okay. Yeah. Volume 30 is where we switched. Well, I like, I like the size they have now. I, I prefer yeah, it. I like it. Because uh, when, when I'm looking well, at the, you know, I just prefer it that way myself. Well, mass oh, yeah. market is pretty much is, is a size that's going out of existence. You it's, you very you very very rarely find them. You got trade paperback, hardcover, and then ebooks. That's the yeah. other thing that's that's really popular right now. The different ebooks. Uh, Mike, ebooks are on their way up, but ebooks are almost always cheaper. Well, it's yeah. an ebook. That's why. Well, you're, you're you're well, you're getting something. You're getting the book. You're just getting it electronically. Yeah, no. What are you talking about? No, when you buy an ebook, you don't get a paperback copy. You just get the ebook online. It's it's an electronic. You can download it. On to Amazon, they've got a thing. You know, if you buy the paperback for an extra dollar or something like that, you can get the ebook too, so that you can go you can go back and forth and just when you read your 
you can keep, you know, you can work through your book faster that way. You can also do it with an audiobook too. If you buy the audiobook and you buy the ebook on Amazon, when you're where you stop listening or stop reading, it, it moves you forward to where you are. It's it syncs and it'll, it'll be. Too. Yeah. yeah, I think Book is doing that now too, as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I use it's a, cool, it's a cool feature. Yeah, uh, Kirby, no, I, I just like hardcovers because it's just for my personal library. Paperbacks, I always give away, yeah, except for the ones that are autographed. I don't give away. It's uh, no, we don't have a Linden library anymore. Katrina took care of that. It was, uh, I don't know, I thought we had 2,000, the white, so we had 4,000, anyway, somewhere between 2,000 and 4,000 books we had in the house, all autographed, by the way, all of them. Mm. Uh, different people, Michio Keku, Neil Grace Tyson, politicians, doctors, lawyers, paranormal people, UFO people, yeah, they all were. Different conferences I lectured at and stuff like that, it just, it bit when the storm came, <laughs> that's all I can tell you. I'm, 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 I'm back up to probably 300 personal books, but I give away a lot of books now. So yeah. And, but I tell people all the time, if you're sending it to me for a present for me, send it in an audio book. Yes. I prefer to listen because I can drive. I do a lot of driving. I got two and a half hours of driving every day. So it gives me a lot of time to listen to a book. Um, especially if it has like, well, listen to the missionaries has really good sound effects. It's a lot of fun to listen to it because the story is just, <laughs> not, we're not getting into that tonight. But, we'll, you know, um, I think I'm in six now. So when we get finished, whenever I finish this, which probably won't be till later in the year, whenever I get a chance to finish it, I'll get with John because John's already read it. So we'll we'll get on and we'll talk about it. Actually, there's a lot of funny stuff in it. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of funny stuff in it. It's not. I still, not do, I still want to do that show with you as well on, on Hubbard as an author. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to do that too because I got through. I got through the five I've got here. Well, one of them was a picture book, so I guess it doesn't count. But um, no, John sent me. Oh, where is it at? Oh, this is it right here. I think this is it. Yeah, this is it. No, this ain't it. Nope, that ain't it. It's something else. Anyway, it's around here somewhere. I think one of the kids snatched it, but he actually sent me a. Uh, it's a picture book of stuff Ron Hubbard did. It's bigger than the other books. It's. Mm -mm. It's called, yeah, it's called yeah. Images of a Lifetime. Yeah, where the hell is it at? I got, uh... So, anyway, I, I just, I read, uh, what is it? Shaping Popular Fiction, um, The Letters. I think this was the first one I ever got from you right here, was uh, Letters and Journals. Well, I think this one here the, was yeah, I think Shaping Popular first Fiction. One. Yeah. Well, that's the adventure. That one. And this is what you're talking about here. This is uh, Images of a Lifetime, Joe. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's somewhere out here. It's, it, it's um. Well, no, John and I decided we, I want to go over them because, okay, this I'll, we'll talk about this real quick on the show, but it's not really meant for when we do this show. We're actually going to do it separately. But I just I just felt like, um, you have Leah Rhymes out there and a bunch of other people who who are not giving anybody a fair shake. So I know a bunch of these people now, and uh, no, I'm not part of any religion, people. Um, but I know a bunch of these people now and I would like to present this in a way that's not being just hated on because of someone's name. Uh, that's all. Well, there's a lot yeah. of interesting material here to go through. No, it's, it's not like we're, we're plugging him. It's just more of, you know, this is who the man was and you make up your own mind. Yeah. That's all we're doing. No, I've read a lot about him, both good and bad. I ain't going to lie. And we'll talk about a lot of it as we're going through the shows, but I want people to understand it's not what the 80s media, or I actually should say the 90s media, 
made it out to be. So there was a there was a time in the nineties where it was just a horrible thing, and then it, it's it's been changing steadily since about two thousand and nine. But I, I'd like I'd like people just to get a fair shake and let you make up your own mind. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the good. We'll talk about the bad, and y'all can make up your own mind. It's a real simple thing. Uh, no, no, no. He's, he did a lot of good stuff. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I, that's all I can tell you. Uh, no, I just told and you, man. He, did, with he, kids. he created this Rise of the Future, con- which he's, he continues to fund it. He put it in as well. And that's another good thing. There's almost a thousand people that have, that have been presented awards and given their, their, their launching pad to get started. And that's where we got Scott here. He's, that was part of what, you know. <laughs> I'll get his career. For me, it's even bigger than that because people like Scott are putting out entertainment that, you know, that's not going to cost you a million dollars first off to listen to or read or whatever that may end up as movies somewhere down the line for whatever reason they might be. I'm tired of the starboard Netflix, Hulu prime. Oh, let me just throw this button. You know, and don't get me wrong. Some of them turn out to be decent, but for the majority of them, the majority of stuff I'm seeing being made like that is crappy. That's the only way I can say it. Uh, it's not that there's not some good stuff in between. It's just the majority of stories. And it's not just me. I mean, Netflix viewers are down. Prime's viewers are down. Everybody's down. And part of it's COVID because we watched so much during COVID. And, of course, there was also the strike. So it pulled everything down. But these guys like Steven are going to be the ones that save our asses because they're going to be the ones that are putting out the stories that eventually will be what we get to hear well, you can read them first, ladies and gentlemen, but I mean, eventually they'll either be the audio book you're listening to or the new movie or the new series. Because not all these get turned into movies. Some of them get turned into miniseries or into series themselves. Look, people, if Leah Rhymes can get a freaking series, anybody can. I'm just telling y'all, anybody can get one. I'm just, I'm just saying. No, I never did like her. I never even liked her when she was in Kings and Queens. Something about the woman I never liked. No, it's just, it's a personal thing. That's all. Uh, what is that, Jimmy? 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 Laredo? Laredo? Sorry, Jimmy Laredo. Where are you from, Mister Laredo? Where are you from? Oh, Las Vegas. Hey, what you doing out there? Win me some money and send it to me. Look, I'll send you a dollar <laughs> when you make it into a million. You send it to me. And since Steven, it's since John and Scott are on with me, I'll have to split it with them. But um, not really. Oh, you want what? The luckiest casino I've ever gambled there was the Orleans. I won a lot of money there. After I lost a lot at the MG and Alexa and the Flamingo, well, I lost my ass off. <laughs> We're not even going to say how much I lost it. It's embarrassing. You could probably bought a house where I lost. It was Ooh. sad. Oh, but I won the all back plus. Yeah. I was down there for 14 days. I was doing a lecture in, um, in um, not Las Vegas, uh, right above Las Vegas, right right over above the, uh, the dam. Oh, I can't think of the dam. It's a famous town. I just can't think of the name of it. Um, no, Henderson it was. It was no, it was uh, the was it Reno. No, it wasn't Reno. Laughlin. It was Laughlin. Oh, yeah. And uh, and uh, we spent a lot of money there. We spent a lot of money in, in Vegas. We sp- the whole trip cost us like twenty two thousand dollars, and then we wanted it all back. Everything we lost, all the trip, everything. Linda and I hit this casino, and I'm not kidding you. Every other machine we sat down at, we won on. It was it was insane. It got so bad. I had two prostitutes follow me around the hotel trying to offer me their services. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. The guy, the guy, the, the security guy finally came up and said, what are y'all doing? He said, do you know them to us? And not really. He said, you get out of the damn hotel. It was, it was, it was, it was funny, but it was out. It was the very last night we were there too. It was, a, we were getting ready to leave the next day. We were, we were checking out the next morning. Yeah. So you never know what's going to happen in Vegas people. 
No, I wasn't going to be unhappy. All right, so he had a question. Yeah, what was the question anyway? <laughs> Since we got off, we got off on it. What, what was the question? What did you? What did you? Well, scroll back up and bring the question back to where it was. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know. So he was say, could you do something like a sci-fi western? So, so that would be like Gene Roddenberry, almost a sci-fi western. Isn't that what Star Trek was? Yeah, there's been a few of them out there. I've done uh, fantasy westerns, but I've never tried sci-fi. Um, but isn't there Cowboys versus Aliens? Wasn't <laughs> so that a thing? Yeah, there's a little movie that came out a few years ago with all these blue people. So he instantly writes, "What's the difference between fantasy and sci-fi?" Uh-huh. How old are you? How, wait, really? If you what fifty? What? No, get out of here! You don't know the difference. I'm, I'll let Scott explain it to you because I, I'm just not believing you. <laughs> Uh, science fiction uh, has a strong element of, of a technology in it. Um, depending on who you're talking to, it, it, you know, like Heinlein thought it should be a main part of the plot. Obviously, if you get into something like Star Wars, the science is not real. You know, there is no, no such thing as a lightsaber and there's no... Hey, 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 I will lightsaber <laughs> your ass up, buddy. What are you talking about here? <laughs> okay, I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, and then fantasy is has magic of some kind, which is, you know, the, the superpower. I like So that's those, the difference right? between the two, really. Now, also, in this book here, when Hubbard wrote it in, uh, in the early 80s, uh, Battlefield Earth, he wrote an introduction. And here is another definition. He says, so what would pure science fiction be? It has been surmised that science fiction must come from the, an age where science exists at the risk of raising dispute and outcry, which I have risked all my life and received, but not been bothered by and have gone on and done my job anyway. I wish to point out some things. Science fiction does not come after the fact of a scientific discovery or development. It is the herald of possibility. It is a plea that someone should work on the future, yet it is not prophecy. It is a dream that precedes the dawn where the inventor or scientist awakens and goes to his book or his lab saying, I wonder whether I can make that dream come true in the world of real science. And he goes on in the history of it going all the way back to Lucian. And then he says, then what is fantasy? He says, well, believe me, if it were simply the application of vivid imagination, then a lot of economists and government people and such would be fully qualified authors. Applying the word imaginative to fantasy would be like calling an entire library some words, too simplistic, too general a term. In these modern times, many of the ingredients that make up fantasy as a type of fiction have vanished from the stage. You hardly even find them in encyclopedias anymore. These subjects were spiritualism, mythology, magic, divination, the supernatural, and many of the fields of the type. None of them had anything really to do with the real universe. This does not necessarily mean that they never had any validity or that they will not again arise. It merely means that man currently has sunk into a materialistic binge. And then he goes on to define it more, but... Um, Fantasy, so far as literature is concerned, is defined in the dictionary as literary or dramatic fiction characterized by highly fanciful or supernatural elements. Even that is a bit limited. So fantasy can be called any fiction that takes up elements such as spiritualism, mythology, magic, divination, the supernatural, and so on. The Arabian Nights, he talks about, Thousand and One Nights of Entertainment, and goes on to how that works on it. But he, he really breaks it apart. So right now you have a lot of science fiction and fantasy starting to meld. And he had it as two really separate 
you know, a subset of, of that type of literature. And they had different uh, different readerships at the time, and the, they were oftentimes different sections in the bookshelves. Yeah. And uh, science fiction it was considered a male genre, and men read it, and fantasy was usually women. Yeah. And all of that's uh, gotten mixed up, thank goodness. Yeah, but yeah it's pretty yeah. interesting. You can go online and see things like uh, the NASA scientists said they created but they were inspired by Star Trek, the show, the TV show. Uh, and they said, we, I bet we can do that, you know, but it was just somebody's yeah. imagination. I think cell phones weren't cell phones inspired yeah. by the, uh, yeah, the flip phone was definitely inspired by, and a lot of people still didn't want to get that flip phone up because of their, their, their communicator, but you know, yeah. today's hospital beds can, take your pulse, they can take your weight, they can do all sorts of stuff they used to not be able to do. So they're, they're getting more and more like the ones you used to see in the, uh, in Star Trek. So uh, pretty soon they'll be able to do everything the Star Trek beds did plus. It's amazing how much we, it, it, the laser the guy who invented laser said he got it from sci-fi. I think he was watching um, something in the twenties. What was it? Not Buck Rogers. Uh, maybe it was Buck Rogers. Anyways, one of those sci-fi movies from back then. And he said, that's where he got the idea of the laser from. I'm like, really? So y'all yeah. be surprised how many, there, there's actually a list somewhere. I think NASA has, there's actually a list of ideas uh, that came from sci-fi, either TV right. shows or whatever. And a lot of them came back from the old radio days of sci-fi, which kind of uh, cracked me up a little bit. Uh, but hey, you know, if, if it works, it works. I'm all into new stuff. Um, it really is too. There's a lot more to imagination than, than there is today. Because now with that super, super high-tech um, CGI, you know, I look at some of the earlier stories and movies I used to watch, and I would have, it was so vivid in my mind, and I look at it, and I'm like, wow, that is so not what you have today, like The Man from U.N.C.L.E. and The Wild Wild West, and those were amazing stories back there yeah. in, the, in the 70s, yeah. and I love them, but that, those special effects you know, even uh, you're you're talking about um, um, what's his name in the in the forties and fifties the, um, the the science fiction the it was um, not Star Trek or Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers, yeah, Buck Rogers. Buck Rogers. You, you know how they had the, the spaceship there? They had a they had a a, a wire. They put the little right. spaceship on it. And then they put a sparkler in the back and they moved it along. And that was, when you looked at your imagination, now you're going to go like, how cheesy is that? But that back then it was like, wow. And what it did to your imagination to kick it into, into full gear was like, it was amazing. You know, some of the stuff there. So there's a lot to be said with your own imagination being appealed to rather than having all the, all the, the blanks filled in. So you just have to look and be a spectator. Because then he used to contribute to the stories. The theater of the mind. Yeah. Well, and, and to circle back all the way back to the Harry Potter series, yeah. I think one reason among many that it was so popular is it talks about some really important things. No politics, nothing current, nothing you know real. Mm -hmm. But it talks about how people can be in denial of you know authoritarianism uh, rising right in front of them, which if you look at history, and I'm thinking of Germany right now, was the case. Many of the people were in complete denial of what was happening right in front of their eyes. Yeah. Um, and people refusing to say the name of someone they were afraid of and and uh, courage and good versus evil and all of these subjects that are really deep and they'll never, we'll never be rid of them, right? They're, they're timeless. Right. 
Yeah, and she was able to do her. that without going into politics or anything uh, in a very, very subtle way. And and also without trying to brainwash any, anyone in, in a certain point of view. I, I just thought they were just brilliant. And that's how I well, try to write too, is, is to go for the deeper, the, you know, the ultimate issues rather than any, anything current. Which is something that science fiction and fantasy can can safely address. You know, you have some of the earlier pulp right you're talking about, you know, um, addressing some of these issues, but like Heinlein, very much he had his religion and various takes on, on religion. A lot of science fiction will address religion um, and the fantasy with, and, and also um, Asimov politics, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of religion and politics that's addressed, but you, you take it away from right now and the location and put it someplace else, then you can actually look at it as something different and you can evaluate it because it's not called what yours is. It's called what somebody else is calling it now. Yeah, so everyone can learn from it, no matter what their political affiliation is right. today and right. yeah, who their favorite candidate is and everything is because it's not here. It's not now. It's great. Exactly. Yeah, it gives you ability to do that, which is good. So that's what you're that's what you like to strive for with, with your writing. I do. Yeah. And uh, not the political so much, but good versus evil and courage and um, lots of lots of themes like that, that I think, you know, the value of honesty, friendship, uh, this sort of thing. I think they're it sounds so simple when you say it like that. But and yet, and yet we see that our world is so false and so uh yeah there's so little courage such a lack of courage out there and everything today that we need to talk about these things no that's good and to put it into a platform that somebody can actually look at and not feel challenged or that they have to defend themselves because that's the thing too that if you give a person a book they can they can just sit and sit down and not feel like they need to defend themselves or attack or anything else they can just enjoy it and like Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, that's pretty cool. And have their own thoughts about it, you know, which is good. And yeah. you can discuss the book and you end up discussing these points that you're trying to put attention on without getting into, well, I think this is, and I think that's, you can just say, well, the, the book, you, have, you know, the main character is pretty cool because he did the right thing. Exactly. I mean, number one is for me in my books is that sense of wonder I talked about. Number two yeah. is adventure and and dread. I like I like the emotion of dread. Um, and then beyond that, if I can add a few of these ultimate issues, at least get people thinking about it without yeah. telling people how to think, then that would be a home run. That's absolutely correct. One of the things that I know Hubbard liked to do, um, one of the, which Heinlein said I didn't realize, but there's another storyline that um, that is what you write that I didn't know existed with the man that learns better. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not everybody's always doing the right thing in the right position in life, and they've made some wrong decisions, but then they come up to some crossroads and they decide to do the right thing. A lot of the stories are that, you know, someone, you know, it's never too late to change your mind and do the right thing. And that's, you can say that's a very religious, okay, it's very, whatever you want to call it, it's also a good thing for living within a, a group of, within a society. It's it's never too late to change and do the right thing. Right. Yeah. The, the thing I'm writing now, which is not what's coming out in, in September, but maybe a year from September or something like that. Fantasy, sort of a high fantasy uh, thing. And the lead character, a young woman who finds a mask and the mask can influence people. 
And I didn't, I actually did a draft of this back when I was in college, which was a couple of years back. Uh, but now it is so relevant because you have all this social media, which didn't even exist back then. But yeah. I, I realized this is a great metaphor for that. And of course, she gets tempted into using using it for very selfish means and everything goes uh, goes wrong, essentially. And yeah, she has to learn better or not. Yeah, that's true. yeah. <laughs> or not. There's what's always a possibility in my stories that they fail to learn. Yeah. What's your what's your books coming out this fall? Uh, Memories of Lucinda Echo is the t the title, and uh, yeah, it's a young adult fantasy set in Baja. So, yeah, so uh, it starts out with a girl whose um, grandmother uh, loses her memories, but lots of things happened, and she believes it was actually a curse, and someone stole her memories. So it wasn't just Alzheimer's or something; it happened like that. And she finds out through her investigations that uh, her grandmother was actually a witch and knew some, some secret that someone wanted to get a hold of. And she, uh, she ends up discovering where her, the memories are stored and she has to relive them one by one and find out what is this terrible secret and who is this enemy. And uh, it's pretty cool, I think. Every other chapter is um, today with the girl's point of view or uh, 1967 when her grandmother was 17 and became apprentice to a you know a warlock uh also in Baja so it's all set in Baja I think it's yeah. pretty cool great it sounds it thank you thank you yeah I've, yeah I've had a few first readers and Lauren Kate who wrote the Fallen series uh-huh um mentored me on the on the book so oh, that's I think good it's gonna come out pretty well are you publishing through KDP or how, or? Yeah, um, that'll be one of the platforms. So I am self-publishing. Yeah. The publishing world is in flux right now. And um, first of all, you have to find a publisher. But even when you do, uh, I now have a, a master's degree in publishing. It takes them now three and a half years on average after the contract is signed to get your book out. For first-time authors, hell with that. Not yeah. not for big authors, but if you're a first-time author, they just put you yeah. in the queue. Three and a half years later, after you are lucky enough to get a contract, you finally your book finally yeah, sees the light. So now there's also I don't know if you're are you familiar with Ingram Spark, right? And Draft to Digital. I think I'm going Draft to Digital probably, but those are both yeah, great aggregators. Yeah. Yeah. At um, I'm I'm going to be speaking at the um superstars next this coming weekend and um i'm also doing several podcast interviews one of them is with the head of uh, ingram spark uh dion okay. mcadoo so i'm going to be pre presenting as, as another avenue besides kindlepreneur which is ingram spark um for somebody to get their books published you know what do you do and so that ingram is a big competitor then from for amazon or amazon is a com competitor for ingram and then you said there's a third one there too. So I'm I'm going to get all three of them so people can actually see. Okay, here's your options. What you can do if you want to go the self-publishing route. Mark Lefebvre, you can talk to if you want him. On yeah, I'm interviewing him. Uh, I'm interviewing him this coming Wednesday morning. Yeah, so he's going to be, uh, be, be the third time I'll have him as a guest. He's he's a great guy. I love him. Yeah, so probably a lot of people don't know what we're talking about, but it's it's a place you can take the book that you wrote. And you can put it up on Ingram Spark, and Ingram Spark will then distribute it to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Kobol, 
all of these places. You don't have to go to them individually right. and upload. So it's it's a great service. Naturally, they want a few percent uh, of your sales. And I can't believe some people actually get uppity about it. Like, they want some of my money. Well, yeah, yes. they want my money. Yeah, service. <laughs> Yeah, yeah go for, go for traditional then when you give them your when you give them eighty yeah. percent of your money. But yeah, those are great great services. Then. Yeah, yeah. It, it's all of these self publishing things. I got a friend of mine. What's he a Greenlee? What the hell is he on? He uh, started self. He started doing publishing himself because that's what he did. He wrote he wrote four or five books, and he said, "The hell with this! I'm gonna start publishing them myself." And then he started his own publishing company, and then. Uh, that was 15, 16 years ago. But he mainly just does UFO books and paranormal books, stuff like that. Uh, as far as I know, he doesn't do anything outside of that genre. It's uh, And uh, I was kind of like, really? And he said, yeah, he just does a few books a year. I think he takes 12% or something. And uh, he may have gone up since COVID. I don't know. <laughs> Everybody seems to have gone up since COVID. And, uh, but still, you know, 20% of a book's not bad because the publisher's going to take more than that. So. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Anderson started his publishing house to be able to handle all of his books and to be able to because he's got over 100 books. So now with that, he's able to keep everything in print because he's got his own word fire press. And then um, Dean Wesley Smith has his own uh, WMP, I think it's called his, has his own yeah. WMG, yeah, has his own prep, his own uh, publishing house to keep all of his works. He and, uh, and Chris Rush's books in, in print. So that's definitely a solution. You know, on it, I'm interviewing also. I'm meeting with Tony Weisskopf, who's the publisher of Bain Books, at uh, yeah. next week as well. I'm interviewing her, and um, that's the biggest indie publisher in the U.S. Science fiction, fantasy. So I'm talking to her about how it's changing, what, what's happening with her on the stuff, because she she publishes right. several of our winners and several of our judges. Yeah, I don't think Bain uh, has a three and a half year no list, but I bet no. it's a year and a half or two though. It's, it's, it's definitely got a runway, but it's, they're yeah. indie. They're the biggest indie. They're not the traditional. Traditional is definitely got that major lead time. Right. A lot of people out there want to get their books published. I say just write the damn thing, put it on Amazon, hope for the best. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Or get out and get the right. Well, you know, that, that's something when I was talking with the authors, uh, when I have, when I have, and I've been talking with lots of authors for, Jesus, four decades now, or three decades. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you got to publish them. I mean, you got to do something with them. You, you want them out there. You want to do, but they, what they don't realize is you can be with any publisher in the world. And if, if they're not paying for the advertisement, the book's not going to sell. Uh, you've got to get out there. So I tell them all the time, don't be scared. Call radio shows. I said, he said, Oh no. I said, call big ones too. He said, why? I said, cause every, I said, think about it. There are currently right now over a million podcasts in the United States producing oh. about 8 million hours a week. Well, guess what? They need guests and they need guests out the freaking union. Even, you know, coast to coast tells me all the time you got something new to talk about. Give us a call. We're always, you know, we need four hour guests. They, they're doing seven days a week, four hours a night. They need guests. If you've got a book or you've won or it's, it's an interesting book, they want to hear from you. Because, of course, a lot of times what they do now is split into the two and two, but still uh, they need guests. So now they're splitting in two and two. They need two guests a night. Uh, so that's 14 guests a week. And, and that's just that one show. And, and like I said, there's, you can go on iHeart and look for, for shows that may be more, you know, orientated to what you want to do. Author shows like these are, are all over the place and they're going to have different guests uh, drawn by the host and stuff like that. So 
um, you know, you, you can hit those shows and, and tell people, Hey, you, you might get 10 books. You might get 10,000 books. Cause you never know when you get on one, because you never know how lazy the audience is. I call it audience lazy. Cause I can, I can see how many people, what listeners we got. And, and on book sales, I see less than 1% on this network and, and sales and does with mm-hmm. books. And that's probably for every two or 3 million people. It's, I don't know why. And I, I can't say that completely. I have seen one or two books, that have done really well here, but for the most part, no, I know um, we've been running specials with, with writers of the future and two other companies. And I just, I haven't seen any kind of real, real movement other than, you know, one or two here, five or six here, nothing. As far as I know, last time I talked to Mel Maliva, they hadn't even moved any with them. So it's, I, I have no idea what, what drives one sale, what doesn't drive one sale. I think a lot of times it has more to do with the uh, guest that comes on and publishes the book or, or promotes the book correctly. Because I can talk about books all night long and I can do them my own voice and I can do them fancy or I can do them slow, I can do them in between. But in the end, the audience really don't give a shit what I'm saying, excuse my language. They would rather hear it come from your voice. They would say, okay, Scott, you got this new book out. Tell us about it. We want to hear it from you. Uh, and they like that because and then they know what you look like and they hear you. So if you're ever anywhere signing books, they'll recognize you right off the bat. Uh, so it makes it easier for that. And those, when, when we do it like that, we tend to sell more books than we don't. Uh, but the things I see selling here are cars, <laughs> soft drinks, coffee, creamer. We sell a lot of creamer. From what Carnation tells me, we sell a lot of creamer from her. I mean, when, when he told me how many things of creamer or actually Carnation products we sold, I was amazed. I really was. And they keep adding more shows to their list with us. Uh, they're happy, so I'm happy. Current um, Fuller just wants to bring on other shows, but Michelle won't let him be. <laughs> it just says they're only, they host her two shows or they sponsor her two shows, actually. And so she don't have to pay for them. And she said, I don't want to share them with anybody. <laughs> That's like Michelle. <laughs> uh, you got to share. She's just, but they're looking. So, I mean, stuff like that tends to sell. But I think because originally this station was a paranormal station, uh, things like that sell better because paranormal people are weird like that. What I've learned about paranormal people, they're either nerds and they're readers or they're not. So, they're, they're ner- and I mean, when I say that, I mean, there's a stark contrast. So, a lot of geeky nerds I know will pick up a book and read it, but a lot of them I know will not even look at a book. If it ain't on TV, a movie, or a game, they're not interested in it. Right. So, so you know, I, and and, and it's, like I said, it's just a big stark in contrast. And it's a bridge that's got to be gapped, but that's what I think the odds where I think the audio books will gap that bridge. I think eventually the audio books bridge will that gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they'll eventually. Whatever. Mess. Yeah, but close to that either. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, I know, I know. Let's let's not go there. Let's. Uh, but anyway. We're hoping that they'll, they'll, you know, they'll cover that area for us and we won't have to worry about it. Cause I really, truly, I mean, when I talk to him, when I'm doing interviews with him or, or in places at conferences stuff, you know, I was sitting down with, um, I think it was Nick Polk, who's got probably 150 books to himself. He's a nine to five writer. That's what he, he's a professional writer. That's what he does. He gets up every morning, goes in his office and writes nine to five. How he does, it's beyond me. And he's got, he has, he has talked about everything from God to, to, to demons, to Jesus, to, um, cryptozoology you name it his his butts talked about it he's nonfiction. yeah yeah he's nonfiction. he and he sells he sells and he does well and and that's what he does but when we were at a conference we were talking and we were, i was just like well well i said he said you know joe see, see we're sitting there and these group of guys came by he said i'm gonna talk to him but they're not gonna buy any books i'm like why he said because they're geeky nerds they're not readers they're viewers so they got to sitting and talking of course they didn't buy any books and, you know and i asked him i said hey 
do y'all read a lot or you know and they're all pretty much said the same thing oh no i like watching it on tv or on a game or on a cd or something like that and i was like mm-hmm. i was like okay and then about an hour later we're sitting there he said come here i want to show you something and these five guys came walking he said now watch every one of these guys will buy a book and sure enough every one of the guys bought a book he um wow. it's just he said you can just tell the difference he said it's an attitude thing he said these type of people who are interested in your book and they they look at the title and they know it's probably good, but they're not, they don't have either. They don't have the time or the skills that are just outright lazy. They're not going to pick up the book and read it. But if that was an audio book, he said they will buy the audio and, and listen to it. And uh, so, so in next a situation year, we'll- like that, do they sell downloads? Like here, I'll sell you this and you, and you uh, scan the QR code and download it. Or do you have to have the physical? Uh, well, no, you can download the audio. A lot of people, Download audio. See, right now with Mission yeah. Earth, I've downloaded the audio. It's actually, it's on, well, it's on my pad. It's not on my phone, but it's on my pad. And um, I just throw it onto my car in the morning and just listen to it. It's easy for me, but it's, it's the same thing anywhere in your house. I mean, nowadays, the way my house is set up, I can swipe to anything in my house and listen. I can swipe back to the stereo back here, which is really 1600 watt stereo and listen that way. So that way I get the full round of sound effects rumbling my house around and stuff, mm-hmm. especially with Mission Earth. There's some pretty good sound effects in there. And uh, so it gets you to, to, to vibrate around. So, so I can, I can actually see the difference. See, I used to, when I was young, I liked to read as I gotten older. It's not so much that I don't like to, I just don't really have the time to, uh, it doesn't, I, I don't have the time so I'll usually so with like with the audio, like later on tonight, I'll be working on uh, putting the archives up today and tomorrow and working on a website. Well, there'll be either music or archives playing in the background that I'm listening to, but I couldn't read them because I'm using my eyes for the computer itself. So it allows the same thing with gamers. Gamers might want to listen to Missing Earth while they're, you know, killing 5 million people on a TV somewhere. So, <laughs> you, you, you know, they get the best because we're no longer a single task society anymore. Unfortunately, right. we have moved on to a multitask. So you and most of these people today, you know, from the X Gen is down, can listen to audio and play video, and it doesn't seem to affect them any. And they're having a good time. They're listening to the story, and you'll even see them sometimes pause a game. I was watching a guy on Twitch the other day; he paused the game because what he was listening to got really, really good. And, and we, actually, we were all listening to it because it got really, really good. And then when he when he was done with that part, he went back to gaming again. And uh, it's 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 just a different world today so we we have to be prepared for all of those things and then you know i was giving john ai the first time i ever heard about ai i was like what the bullshit are we doing about this um i got too many friends that are illustrators and authors to see him get put out of work by some half-ass ai program um and to be frank with you i just got through doing an investigation on the ai program out of florida i don't know if you had heard there was uh, like 50 cop cars dispatched to a, a Florida mall recently in Miami. And they actually closed down the airport. So they said that there was some people walking around with guns in the mall. They gave all kind of bullshit reasons. Uh, you see outside the mall, you see what looks to be like a 10 or 12 foot something walking around outside. And then inside the mall, they're trying to show you this stuff, but you can see the hands are outstretched. And if you, that's, that's a typical screw up of AI. So right there, I knew just just in that la- those thirty seconds, I knew that inside video was AI. It wasn't a real video. Whatever they were trying to pawn it off on wasn't real. It was it was AI. So and and you just have to learn. But it, as they get smarter, it's going to be harder. Oh yeah. And, I I don't I think it's going to be harder for illustrators. It's going to be way harder for authors. I don't know. I've never really other than the um, comic book. I've never really seen AI put together a really good story. Uh, the comic books they seem to be able to do, but that's a little bit different. 
And uh, Jeff Weiner showed it to me first. We did a show, and he actually did a comic book while we were on air. It did this whole comic book in under 10 minutes. It, oh. it made the balloons. It made the pictures. It made the story, the whole thing. He wrote in like four paragraphs, and it came out with a sellable comic book. Probably not the best comic you ever read, but it was a sellable comic book. I was, I was in, scary. Right. Yeah, <clears throat> I was impressed with it. I was like, well, ain't this just a bitch? Uh, so, well, I mean, cause like I said, I got a lot of friends that are authors and I, and, and, and more than that, I don't want to be watching the big screen TV and think that, Oh, some computer made this movie, however good it is. I just, I just, I don't know. It, it's not something I'm, I'm ready for yet, I guess. Yes. Whoever said that I'm still living in the past. Y'all can bite me. How's that? Um, we're all going to have to be plumbers or welders. Or- <laughs> yeah. It's well, I just, I just, I want to see people get credit. I, I did talk with a company down here. This big came, big came in company came down to Louisiana and they're paying all their employees a hundred thousand dollars each, all their illustrators and authors and stuff like that. So I actually asked for an interview with him and I finally got it. And I said, well, look, dude, I said, what are we doing with this AI? Are you going to be using? It? He said, yes, I am. He said, because it, it, it allows for shortcuts. He said, but he said, I told my authors or my writers what he calls me. He said, this is what I want y'all to do. He said, I want you to introduce stories to the AI and, and work with the AI to get the story better and better and better. He said, so what you're going to end up really getting is part AI, part human stories, what you're going to get. So the human's going to set, you know, he's going to tell a human what he wants for this story. And then the human's going to go and set the story up. And then him and the AI are going to work through the story until it's to what they want to be. Same thing with the illustrators. So he said, he'll always still have, the same amount of writers and illustrators because he just doesn't trust AI to do it 100% on its own, especially when it comes to changes. He said, I'll be honest with you, Joe. I don't want to be telling the computer myself what to do. He said, I'd just rather tell one of these guys. He said, I don't want to tell a programmer. He said, I want to tell someone who actually understands what I'm saying. You know, an author will understand when he's using Arthur Lingo. He said, he'll understand what I'm talking about. And illustrators the same way. He said, so that's what he's doing. Now, if everybody does that, then it's not a big deal. It's not going to harm anybody. But I've already heard uh, Netflix talking about uh, when they're going to release their first totally AI written story. Uh, I was like, really? Uh, I'm not watching it right off the bat. I, I wrote to him. I said, so I'm getting rid of y'all if you do it. <laughs> That's what I told him. I, I just, you know, what, what else are you going to do? I'm playing. I did an interview. You played it up a little while ago. Um, and um, the thing on it, on AI stories, because we got into the legal part of it. She was a lawyer. And um, the thing about it is, at least from my perspective, is there's a, there's, a, there's a concept that an AI is sentient, and that's the assertion on it, and um, it isn't. No, it isn't. It, it, it just isn't. And so the whole idea of storytelling or art is the senior creative being a creator and not um, robotic, you know, so... If you're using, like I use um, Grammarly to help me on when I do the final thing to polish when I'm writing my articles or press releases, something like that. Um, I use Photoshop. You know, you can use stuff on there to help fix up something to change colors. If the editor says, "Okay, I need it needs to be a red sword and not a blue sword," you know, that type of stuff you can do that, which um, is, is an assist. It's a servo mechanism. It's not the actual cr- creative. And that's a point of, of dispute from some people that assert, like, okay, no, the, the computer is this, and it just isn't. You know, so it's as good as, as what it's been able to pull in, scrap from, scrape from uh, 
the internet and that's that's what it's learned you know so it doesn't create it just it uses what it already has and, and mixes it and whatnot i don't know if you've got an opinion on this stuff scott but that's mine and i'm sticking to it <laughs> so you probably know i have a little online magazine called new myths yeah and um we decided most magazines are just trying to ban the ai content we decided to just be contrarians and uh allow it as long as the authors said this was generated through ai and uh, we were going to run a contest and to see without at first labeling whether things were ai or not have the readers you know choose what they preferred to my amazement we got very few ai submissions uh, we couldn't run our contest uh, it would actually it actually made me happy because i was afraid everyone was gonna use it that's good um, it was good. We did get one. I mean, there may be some people who are lying about it too, but I don't understand why we paid the same rate. We publish it if they were honest with us. But we got one story that was pretty good. And the, the conceit was write uh, a uh, Dungeons and Dragons type story in the style of Anthony Bourdain was the prompt. And uh, it ended up being a pretty good story, but he had to go back over and over and over at the end he put all the prompts that he used and say you know this paragraph is not enough anthony bourdain style please redo it you know and but after he went through it many many times maybe 30 40 prompts it ended up being a, a pretty decent story and we published it um but yeah we we still have the open call if people want to submit ai stories in the new myths magazine but we're getting very few uh, yeah. we got about less than 10 out of 2000 submissions. Damn. So that tells you that the, the, the authors haven't embraced it very much yet. It probably will happen. I'm sure the producers and the bean counters have embraced it completely, but the, the writers yeah. are resisting. Yeah. No, we put rules in it on our horizon future that we don't accept, you know, where the, the story is created by AI. I'm not interested to see how good a person can put together prompts. I want to see how good somebody can actually write a story, create a story. Um, I mean, it's, it's one thing to be able to, you know, I don't really have a problem with, with using AI to help generate prompts, just like you can go out like what we did, what you did on the Rise of the Future workshop where you had, yeah, go meet somebody, go meet a stranger. Here's, and Tim would pass around his little, his little, here you go, you get a, a, a bottle cap and here's somebody else gets a bottle yes. opener and someone else gets a, um, this is an ice cube, you know, you get this different stuff. And um, it's, uh, it's interesting how the, uh, we can use that, but we want the senior creative to be a, a real person. And uh, same thing with art. We've actually had to reject someone who, who, pretended to uh, submit art as his own when actual fact was a um, AI art and they got disqualified afterwards. So that was they definitely need to be disqualified. Yeah, we did. Cause that's, I'm not, we're, this is for writers and for artists for them to show their stuff and to be able to be accepted. So um, if they can't sit down and, and paint, print, you know, do something that they themselves have created, then it's, it's, um, you know, our judges, the people that they, they paint, they use paint brushes, you know, it's, it's like a real thing that they're doing. 
so it's, it's something that's really uh, a, uh, a, a, that's what this contest is about. Maybe somebody else has something else. Okay, here's the AI of the future contest. That's fine. Somebody else can have that. That's not what we are. I feel like I'm in Wayne's world. I keep getting these super close-ups now. <laughs> I know. This is like, whoa. Okay, keep talking. Keep talking. This is what's going on here, everybody, man. Everybody disappeared. I'm gone and Joe's gone, but it's, it's supposed to be doing whoever's talking, but it's being, it's being stubborn. So we're just going to put it back in its regular layout. It's, if, I, uh, if I move just a little bit, you guys could try to find behind me the uh, Isaac Asimov's book of dirty limericks that he wrote, oh, uh, <laughs> which is one of my prized possessions because oh, it's the only science fiction novel in quotes that my dad owns. So it was, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. My dad wasn't a big side when he was, he wasn't, he was never, you know, it's funny. He, he liked things like Elliot Nest and, you know, the untouchables and the rifleman and uh, some other yeah. Westerns come to find out. So, um, Gene Roddenberry had wrote some of these and what's his name? Uh, what's his name? Irvin. Uh, what's his name? He wrote a bunch. Of, he wrote like uh, danger. Will Robinson. He did a bunch of these sci-fis back in the day. Come to find out. He also did uh, Westerns and something else besides that. I didn't know that. I thought he only did sci-fi. And, uh, and, uh, so yeah, he did lost in space, but he did. He had, I think seven, seven series at one time to his claim, seven sci-fi series running at the same time to his claim along wow. with something some other stuff. I was like, wow, that's, uh, yeah, I, I'm thinking he can't be writing all these. I gotta be a team of writers somewhere doing this man. And he's just bitching. What do you mean? Danger Will Robinson is from, is from, yeah, that's where it's from. Boston space. Yes. And, and you know what, that robot in there it was used in several movies and other places. They kind of would change it a little bit, but no, it was the same robot. You mean, um, the first colored sci-fi movie. I don't know if that was the same, robot. it probably was though. It's a TV series with Billy yeah. Mummy. Yeah, so, um, but Jean they Lockhart. did, um, what's his name? Leslie Nielsen was in this movie, Forbidden Planet. They had the robot in that one. But that was a little bit earlier. That was in the 50s, I think. It was the first sci-fi color movie ever released, yes. And the comedian, because in today's world, he's looked at as a comedian, was Leslie Nielsen. He played the leading man. It was, it's oh, yeah. good. It was, it was actually a good movie. I mean, just it's just today's... You know, it doesn't hold up in special effects today, but right. it's not. You can live with the special effects. It's the weird ass sounds and noises it makes. It's a little <laughs> hard. <laughs> you have a little issue with the noises and beeps and clicks and shit it makes. But, 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 I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was pretty good for for the time. Um, you know, it 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 talked about the id. So most people at the time didn't even know what the id was. Hell, most of you listen tonight doesn't know what the it is, so don't even go there with me. You bunch of egomaniacs. <laughs> it's uh, look it up, and you know what I'm talking about. But that—that's—I mean, basically, that's what the series is about. But I, I found stuff like they had wireless equipment in there. Uh, it was funny though that they're they're when they had to talk, they had to pull out a cord and and use a mic. No, people, everything's wireless today. Yes. Well, no one knew that back in the day. They did know that the electronics were going to be wireless, which was interesting because we have a lot of wireless electronics today. But um, as far as communications, no one ever thought of cell phones walking around. You know, first series that did that was Star Trek with a communicator. Yeah, yes, right. that was the first series that did it. And everybody wanted their flip phone because everybody wanted their Captain Kirk communicator. My business partner, one of them, he's still like got to have it. 
you know, he, he, I said, why don't you get a real phone? He said, it is a real phone. I said, no, it's a piece of junk. He said, I'm Captain Kirk. <laughs> Beam me up, Scott. <laughs> I kiss my ass. That's what you need to do with that. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people still, still want them. Uh, now they get the new one, which, which all turns with the fancy screen and all. It's, it's more like a um, tricord than it is a phone. No, this is my phone, people. This is it right here. It's a big old monster phone. Six and a half inch screen. Yes, 256 gigs in memory. It's a great phone. Yes, way better than that crappy iPhone I had. Yes. You mean like this thing that I've got, my iPhone? The, the iPhone. I, I like the pads. I'm not a big fan of the phones. I, I had the, the 12 and the 13 and the 14, and none of them compared to this phone. Just the cameras in this phone and the amount of memory this has and the processor speed, it just blows the iPhone out of the water. Because iPhone's always been like that. iPhone's always been for a selective group of people. They've never really competed with Droid because they don't feel like they need to compete with Droid. Even though for every iPhone sold, there's probably 10 or 12 Droid sold. Uh, they don't feel yeah, the need to compete. Please. Yeah. And then yeah, the other I thing like is... This though because I've got a Mac here and I've got my iPad. so yeah. And I can immediately share something to it. I can do the airdrop. This is also 256 meg on it. And it's... Yeah. Uh, so if you if you're in the iPhone system, or I should say the Apple system with the phone, yeah. the computer, the pad, it's a good thing. It's a great system to work with. Yeah. And uh, you know, but see, like this, I can tap my wife's phone, share everything that's on here with it, and I can tap, but I can't. It doesn't. It's not. It does not like my iPad though. My I should rephrase that. My app, my iPad doesn't like it. It's like get that crappy phone away from me. <laughs> I don't want that thing on here. But shares pretty good with it though. <laughs> No, I mean, Apple's got a really good system, but Apple never – so it's like with Apple, when you go to the uh, app world, a lot of times you'll get apps from Apple. They want you to pay weekly for them. Most of the Droid apps are free, completely free. Uh, and you know, you'll find about two-thirds of Apple's apps are either weekly or monthly charges. They don't have near the free apps that the Droids do. They I, haven't have the gone my, I haven't gone beyond the, the free apps on my, my iPhone. <laughs> Well, it all. St- I went. I went to go get one of those ones for your steps and your blood pressure, and they wanted seven ninety nine a week. I'm like, get the hell out of here! I might as well go see my doctor for seven ninety nine a week. And um, so I said, you know, on this phone, it's free. It, it doesn't cost anything. It, it, it monitors my steps. It monitors my blood pressure. It does all kind of lovely things. Uh, oh yeah, you can do all kind of stuff with your phones today, people. Yeah, they're great. Matter of fact, you could write a story on it, or in my case, talk about a story on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. What do you mean? Have I tried? Have I tried using the AI to write? No. Look, I've got. I'm at seventy one thousand words. I started this two years ago, three years ago in LA. Whatever the hell it was. Yeah, three years ago. Three years I, wrote, ago, right yeah, I, I write. I wrote the first. I, I was channeling Elrond one night, and I wrote eleven thousand words. And then <laughs> uh, anyway, so because but see, it's easy. I don't know what it is. It's easy for me to write there. First off, it's it's the attitude. Of everybody who's there. Plus, all the stuff is fresh in my head because I'm listening to all the judges. And even the odds for me, even the winners are teaching me stuff, you know. So, I mean, I get to listen to everybody and I and I, I, everybody I'm talking to so I can ask anybody questions. I still remember Dean said, just go write your damn thing and we'll worry about the rest of it later. <laughs> it's like, Dean, come on, man. He's like, no, that's what you got to do. I'm like, all right, dude, that's what you say. Uh, I mean, what are you going to tell a guy has got like 500 books, man? <laughs> just go do it. It's uh, but here it's a lot harder for me to write. I don't have the concentration, um, and since I'm not, this isn't an imagination thing. It's I have to go back and look at each day we were there. So it's eleven days. It was eleven, almost twelve days we were there, 
And it's just a lot to write. Plus, I got to go find all the stuff that came out on the hypnosis and stuff like that. And, and then I've got to include Linda's memories in there as well. So it's just it's just a lot. And then and then stupid me haven't learned write it and then go back and edit it. No, I got to stop read the damn thing like five times to go back and change this. Go back and change that. Even though every judge dad told me not to do that, I'm still doing it hard headed. I guess. And, I guess. You know, I just realized what time it was. And I, I've got to. Oh, shit. Know, we got to go. Uh, no, it's after five. We got to get out of here. Uh, Scott, any place you want to tell them you're going to be hanging out? Anything coming up you want to tell them about before we roll out of here? Well, thank you so much for the invite. Uh, I'm going to be at Superstars with John next week, which is in uh, Colorado. And uh, that's the only thing on the calendar at the moment. Look forward Colorado. to seeing you there then. That'd be great. Yep. Yeah, I've, been, I've been to Colorado twice this year already. I'm thinking about going, well, I'm thinking about going back to Utah for one of the dark sky parks, but I might wait till later in the year. Anyway, guys and girls, we got to go. So young kid Scott, go hang out with John and Scott. Say hello out there in Colorado. It's always a great place to hang out. Colorado is a beautiful state. Uh, even though it's a little weird of a state, it's still a beautiful state. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot weird, but it is beautiful. Anyway, I gotta go. So thank you very much. Good yeah, thinking, Scott. No and thanks, Joe. No, get out of here and I'll and Bye, hit, me with a, hit me with a text. I got your numbers from earlier. Yeah, great. Thanks. Uh, so, guys and girls, we got to get out of here anyway. So, be sure to come by and check us out every Saturday. We're right here from 3 to 5 or 3 to 5 30 some days. Uh, so, you can catch us every Saturday. We're here and um, you never know which author is going to be with us because uh, Carmen only tells me two days for the show. So, <laughs> sometimes he tells me longer. But anyway, uh, be sure to check everything out and, and just. You know, there's, there's a buttload of archives. There's 36 live shows on this week, this show, I mean, on this network, right? Not not including all the syndicated and, and prior stuff. So there's literally thousands and thousands of hours. On SoundCloud alone, there is 15,000 archives to choose from, over 35,000 hours of material. And that's only a, only a quarter of what we own. So go check it all out. Take, write to your favorite host. Uh, make a donation to the station. You know, help out where you can. And uh, if you're interested in the show, um, I know Jody, Jody had asked me this earlier. The cheapest you can get on the network today is $100 and this for an hour show. And, uh, of course, there's other things like getting on the Roku television system and features and stuff like that. That's all extra. But And then other things that you can talk to Michelle about that actually may work you a better deal than I will because she's actually the boss now. On that note, i got to go. Scott's got to go. we all got things we got to be doing. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to United Public Radio and the Arthur's Quill. I hope you enjoyed it. Any moans, groans, bitches, or complaints, please write to Michelle DeRoche, addressed to Jamo Montalda. Have a good evening. Have a good weekend, people. And if you're down here in the South, stay dry. <laughs>